0: Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyer's Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. Oh, gee, that was great.
1: And we are live on Oz Property Investors. We bring the big names and we have the big fun. How are you going, Steve? What's happening? And Nick.
2: Uh, I'm really good, man. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty uh pretty busy, as you know. I'm trying to grow a beard like Pelesi and it's not working out, as you can see. It's a little disappointing. <laughs> it might, might take me another couple of years, but that's okay. How about yourself, Nick? What's happening?
0: Yeah,
3: good, yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. Really, uh really pumped to uh to discuss commercial property and commercial property finance with you.
1: Jeez, I just got to smile. That man, like you, you you're, you're pumped to discuss commercial <laughs> finance. Like, nah, that's that, that'd be good. Like, it's the sort of thing we've had a lot of res, resi brokers on on the show, and it's it's with commercial is is that next level. Having sort of been in the broking game myself, you, you kind of, and you're a resi broker, you don't you don't do um, commercial, but you sort of like you take the deal when you when you're there. But it, when there's really those specialists who know what they're doing. It's it's so important to align yourself. So great to have somebody like yourself on. So um, just to some wrap, um, just a summary to summarise, what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about, um, I suppose, the different types of commercial finance and just giving and giving an overview because I think that's important. So people can get the lay of the land, and because not a lot of people understand commercial finance, so. It's great to have an expert on and then we're going to talk to some deals because I think who doesn't love talking deals and we're going to go run around the grounds how how things are tracking in the finance and the commercial property space as well. So Joe likes me to do that sort of thing so people know what they're getting in for. So um, drop a comment and and drop a like and all that stuff and if you're watching on YouTube, all that do that thing as well, people, because um, we want to, yeah, YouTube's been pumping. I've been noticing we're getting, I think Joe's put some marketing on it or something, who knows? But yeah, it's um, weird to have two guests this week, so I'm kind of <laughs> hosting. So jump in, please, if I'm talking too yeah, much. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll ask lots of questions, but you're, you're right, Jeff. So the, the biggest thing I always get asked with commercial, first one is they always say it's riskier. The second one is they always talk about how you need a much bigger deposit. So it'd be good to unpack that with Nick today about what you actually do need to get finance.
1: Yeah. I think you've actually, um, you can get 80% sort of deals these days, maybe even more. Ooh. So let's, we'll,
2: find, let's we'll find out in the next hour and a half.
1: Yeah, we saw. so I'm quotes of the, the week. Oh, sorry, yeah.
3: you, can definitely get eighty <laughs> percent. <80% laughs>
1: you're supposed to, you're supposed to leave them hanging, but then that's that's good. I, I love you. Just just you get right it it absolutely hang
2: done. around to hang around to find out how later. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Later, Here you go. Man. Leave
1: those breadcrumbs. So, quotes of the week, gents. Who wants to go first? If you if you have one, Nick, or if you're on Plessey, I can go. Well, who wants to go first? I'm
2: happy oh, to go. All right. Oh, Nick. There you go. I'll you're on right. Nick.
3: It's got to read it from the other screen. So it's from Albert Einstein. Um, Compound is the eighth wonder of the world. He he who understands it earns it. Who he, he who doesn't pays it. So I thought it would tie in good with commercial property.
1: Fantastic quote. I think Joe said that about five times. So it's yeah. um you're in good you're in good company. But um so Palizi you've got a feel good one, mate. We're we're not I talking about um... when it.
2: Yeah, I've had a bit of a rough week. My mum passed away a week ago now and had a funeral yeah, estate. So a little feel-good one. Um, Taylor Swift is the the quote person. Uh, no matter what happens in life, be good to people. Being good to people is a wonderful leg- legacy to leave behind. Simple, feel-good, not property-related. Be good to people, folks.
1: Yeah. But I, I like um, – that's yeah, sorry to hear about that. I mean, I kind yeah. of knew, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough week for you, man. But um, it remind that quote reminds me of Tim Ferriss, and he says at the end of his interviews now these days on on Tim Ferriss show, he says, "Be be a little kinder than what the uh, something about being a little kinder than what you what you need to be or something." Because I, I just think that's that's the sort of thing we're all sort of hustle and bustle trying to get ahead, and we we lose sight of of the of those little things that. Um, I was I was in a chatting to chatting to an agent the other day, and she was like selling everything off that, as soon as it comes on, and she. She said to me, oh, look, I'm actually just picking up, um, I jumped on Facebook Marketplace and there's, and there's um, somebody who needs sort of food because they don't have, they've got a single mum, and, and she just was dropping out of the waters and grab, grabbing some groceries. And I was like, wow, that's really good to hear. Like, good on you for doing that. And she wasn't kind of trying to big note herself, but I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool that somebody's doing that. And I get a little skeptical sometimes of these, these things, but yeah, hopefully it was a good story. Yeah. Not, not, of, not of the agent, but of the person posting because, yeah, you just don't know these days. But I like to – Yeah,
2: um, there's, there's nothing wrong with posting to get your own feel good. That's, that's why people do it. People like feeling appreciated, so that's why I do it. I do find it weird the ones where they go up to homeless people and stick a camera in their face and like, oh, we're going to get your hair cut and give you some food and that. Like the last thing you want if you're a homeless person is a camera crew pointing out that you're homeless coming up to you. Like just, just do it and be kind. Don't have to
1: film it. Yeah! Wow! Here we go. I, this I love love these ones. Going just Sorry, direction. direction. No, no, oh. I, I I went there. So, um, what's, so what's your question? It's finance related. So if you would if you would like to know the value of money, go and try and borrow some, which is by Ben Franklin. So it kind of reminds me of the 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 best time to get finances when you don't need it, kind of thing. Not that that's financial advice, folks, but yeah it's it's interesting because you, you probably see this all the time nick when people want to borrow money they just they're trying hard and they just can't make it happen but when you, when banks are throwing money at you you don't necessarily want it but yeah have you found that it's nick
3: definitely true at the moment there's more inquiries more more people wanting to borrow than 12 months ago when the rates were 0.1 of a percent but it's yeah it's a lot more difficult so uh there's another quote I was going to say. It was actually um, never let a good um, crisis go to waste. And um, I think a lot of people are trying to take opportunity during this current crisis, but some people just can't. It's just hard to get finance. Yeah.
2: I've, I've, actually seen, I've actually seen, Jeff, the last few months, every time we had a rate rise like a few months ago, everyone went, oh, I might wait for the bottom of the market in a few months' time. Then it kind of stabilised a bit and everyone kind of jumped in. Then we have a recent rate rise and now the people are sitting on the fence again. I'm just like, you've obviously mm. proven you can't pick the market. So why are you trying to?
1: Yeah. It's just interesting because people, like even being the admin of the group, like you you see so many people there, they're like, oh, what are, what are, what are, you, what are people's thoughts on where rates are going and all this stuff? I'm like, well, I, I, we they could go anywhere. I'm not saying they could go anywhere. Like 10 percent's is probably ridiculous, but yeah, you just kind of say, Figure out your own situation and and if it, if the numbers stack and if the deal stacks, then what what are you what are you waiting for? Like otherwise, when are you gonna do it? Are you gonna wait till rates are at two percent again?
2: Yeah. And with the, without are we are bad people, like there's like top level actuaries that can't even work out where rates are going. So why do we think the everyday mom and dad arm and chair investor is gonna have this secret like formula how the economy works? Like they're they're not. Like you just have to plan
1: for the long term. Yeah, exactly. Great. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna get into our first it's not, not you, Polizzi not yet. Um, and then we'll introduce we'll introduce young young Nick and I'll introduce Polizzi again. I've I've got the the standard thing that I roll out. I've even I've even upgraded my um, I can do a video file now. So if we figured it out that we don't need to I don't need to hold the mic there and so it's it's all good guys. I can do we're we're now professional, moving into the twenty-first century. I have
2: no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds amazing. <laughs>
0: Worse <laughs> than going into a situation unprepared especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent it's a scary thought but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you wanna learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agat, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property, and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course, which is a step-by-step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property, and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make.
1: There we go. I thought that was fairly seamless. I, I, I nearly, nearly perfected it, but anyway, <laughs> that's fine. So Nick, you, the person I'll introduce you first because you're pleased been on, I think this is his fourth or fifth time. So good on him. He likes coming back for a chat. We, we'll keep having him back, I suppose. So you've got over 14 years banking and finance. So I, I just say over a decade because, yeah, 14 years. For, for, for me, that's, I could probably say 13 years, but yeah. Um, and over that, you've settled nearly, you've probably done it now. You've, you've done close to a billion dollars in lending opportunities in so you've you've done commercial business, resi construction, SMSF, asset finance. So is there anything you can't do? You um, so you're passionate about property and helping your clients um, build wealth strategically, uh, whilst also doing it in a sustainable and and risk mitigated manner. But a question I I didn't see anything any of this in your bio. What what sort of things do you like doing in your spare time? Because yes, property is great, but what else do you like doing?
3: <laughs> um. Well, I've got a young son, so most of my time at the moment now is occupied by my, my wife and young son, and you know, we get out, go to the beach, do a bunch of things, go away. But yeah, um, property to be honest. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> probably I was I was addicted to. Um, I've pulled back now since we've had a young son, we haven't uh, been active, but yeah, just spending time with the family, a bit of gym here and there.
1: Yeah. So I like to hear mate, I like to live vicariously. My travel these days is done through police So um, yeah. yeah, please you've got to keep travelling, mate. I mean, you've got got a little bub coming on. I so. got I got
2: bubs during the next couple of weeks. I won't be travel for a little bit.
1: Uh, at least yeah, hold off, hold on, at least two or three days. Yeah, book yeah. book a trip a couple week after. No, I think
2: right. I think it's worth pointing out as well. Nick's got a really really impressive portfolio. I won't go into the details of it, obviously, but he's does like he's a self married
1: like multi-millionaire. Self-married? He married himself? No, self-made millionaire. Yeah. I, I, I. So, Polizzi, so you are, uh, how many transactions have you done now? Because uh, we've we sort of uh, said 1,000 no, plus I'd, properties. I'd, I'd, plus I'd say
2: 1,500. Uh, no, it'd be around 1,500. But I'd say 1,500. Who knows if it's 1,300 and I've added a bit of fluff or it's 1,600.
1: I, I need to go back and, and calculate. So, you haven't got it in a spreadsheet? I'm I'm disappointed. Like, what, what, what are you no, doing a percent,
2: yourself? Like, a big, big portion of them was on my previous company as well. So that one, I have to yeah. go back through them. But they're, they were doing about. Previously, we we're doing about three hundred a year. The previous company, and at the moment, I'm doing about ten to fifteen on average a month. So, yeah, we're getting up there after there was seven eight years now in the industry.
1: Great. Well, that's um, yeah, that's you, you've, we've got a lot of experience on board here. I, I feel like I've I've been dwarfed a little bit. So, but also excited because that's good. That's how we, that's how we learn. We learn from people that have been there and done the hard yards. So, Nick, we love starting off people with their first kind of prop or their favorite property purchase. So. What is your um, property transactional purchase you want to tell us about um, today?
3: Um, well, we'll talk about the one I did with Steve, uh, it was 2021. We bought uh, a little factory unit. I think it's about 200 square meter commercial factory unit in, is it Kunda, Kunda Park in, um, oh, yeah. in Sunshine Coast. So it's yep. middle of COVID, what was it? April 21, it was COVID. Um, it's hard to find a property. It was in Super, um, and we had a bit of a timeline. I can't tell you why, but uh, we just had a timeline. Um, and it was hard market. Steve found a few properties. Um, kept on missing out on them. And my budget was actually, it was 500 This was four, and it was, it was, it was a fair bit less than my budget, but I thought, no, nah, it's a good property. We'll buy it. Um, so it's four hundred k factory unit, mezzanine. Um, tenants have been there for a couple of years, and... The net rent was twenty three k at the time. So two years later, the tenants have just left last week. Um, they've moved locations. It's currently on the market for thirty two thousand dollars a year. So what's that's nine thousand dollars increase um, in two years um, per year net. I've uh, it's only been in the market like a week, so or two weeks. So the, the agent reckons we'll get a, a, a get get a tenant pretty quick um and we got it re- well, not revalued but the agent gave me an appraisal he reckons as an investment it's probably worth five 550 um and then as an owner occupier if i sell it to it like a trading business it's it's probably worth up to 600k so you know cash on cash return in, in a two-year period in super i've pretty much doubled doubled my cash that i've put into the deal so it's a pretty good little factory that how technology. much do you have
1: to put into that one anyway
3: uh, we went seventy percent of the to thirty percent. at one twenty plus stands,
2: probably at one fifty, um, we probably have to wow.
3: cough up. So
2: I think I think the point worth noting, Jeff, as well. When we bought this property for Nick, people were saying it's the top of the market, being like, "What are you doing? Market's going to crash." And what sells it for six hundred or four hundred? That's fifty percent rise in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I suppose if you sold it to an owner, rock, like what what would what, what, why is there that? I suppose because owner rock values the, the the values it more than somebody who's investor is purely just numbers-driven. I imagine not the owner rock yeah. isn't.
2: Yeah, D- different markets have. It's the same as like residential. You've got markets where it's an investor-based market where it's like seventy percent of the purchaser are investors and they want a tenant in there on a long lease, and then thirty percent say. I think it's the same thing with commercial markets. There's little markets where basically the owner-occupiers just can't get in, so they're willing to pay whatever. Because for a business, they don't care if they're paying five fifty or six fifty. They just want that space. They want somewhere secure to run their business. Whereas like mm. investors, yeah, they, they want the yield. So the the cap rate's gonna be more important there. But either way, five
1: fifty, six hundred in the grand scheme of things is still a good return. How good's this? Michael Shah, you're chatting to Michael tomorrow night. Oh, beautiful. Exciting times. Yeah. He's on mm. he's watching us. How good's that? Awesome. Um we we're gonna have to get Michael back on back on the live. Um so that it sounds like a really like that—that's—that's that's like a nice sort of relatively bread and butter type commercial. So was that your—that was your first commercial, wasn't it? Nick, or a yeah, no,
3: second up. one? We—we we, we own one. In my wife, um, she bought one in 2014 in Sydney, in uh, Preston's. So it was wow. her first—it's actually a funny story. Her first property she ever bought was a commercial property, uh, what? which is <laughs> yeah.
1: What did she? What did she decide? How did she sort of go out there and decide I'm going to buy a commercial? Was it because it's business related, or what was the? No, so her to...
3: dad was a business owner and he's always willing and dealing and loves like um you know business and property and I knew a guy and the, the guy was I don't know something he was winding up his business and it was just an off market transaction. That one's a good wow. story, but we've be here for about two hours
1: talking about that. So you probably should be you probably should be interviewing your wife then. From the sound she she <laughs> sounds like the wheeler and dealer in the family.
3: No, her, I no, her dad really helped her with everything, like in terms of like negotiating and finding it. So she just I had like, to get alone.
1: Yeah, I reckon she did a good job though. Anyway, so onto onto um, we're we're going to talk a lot about that's. I, I, I feel we could just unpack. I feel Joe would want to ask a whole bunch of questions about that, but he's not here. So I'll, I'll run a relatively tight ship. But um, so let's let's go back to. So commercial finance, what, what is the, so what is the difference between commercial versus resi? I suppose, what are the major differences? So we can, somebody's never got a commercial loan, it'd be great to talk to that.
3: Well, residential is just purely secured by residential property. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, the banks look at your income versus your, your, your expense. Um, commercial, some part of it is like that. Um, so commercial um, finance is obviously it's, it's against commercial property. But there's, um, you know, for investors, for owner occupiers, equipment finance is technically commercial lending. Um, Development would fall under commercial lending. Super funds, um, and the typical property type would be factory units, factories, industrial, office, and uh, and retail. Um, And then there's like a bunch of other specialized securities like childcare and petrol stations, boarding houses, a bunch of other things, but. It's a little bit more unique where it's it can be property based where the lending is the specifically lvr driven on property um or policies are driven purely by the property alone so it's a little bit more like re- residential is very um regulated uh, living expenses how many dependents you have um, commercial is not quite like that it's um some of it is but yeah it's it's it's, it's very different and with today's climate, a lot of people are, are choosing the least stock product we can go into, um, and that's just purely, uh, they don't even look at your income. They don't look at how many kids you have, what your living expenses are. It's purely um, based on the merit of the property. So,
2: Do we do we yeah. want to start out, Jeff, on doing the, the difference between the full dock loans? So say you've got like a, let's yeah. just say, a million-dollar residential property versus a million-dollar commercial full documentation what would be the process between each nick
1: i like that yeah let's go through that let's go through a spectrum of commercial finance
3: so full document um every bank looks at it different so uh in the home loan world you know payg client couple pay slips self-employed two years two years tax returns financials um and you know you throw everything in the calculator and it, it, it shoots out a uh buying capacity with uh with commercial this this few different ways to look at it but under a full doc assessment there's some banks that honestly their product is just like a home loan um uh, you know for example amz 30 year term five years interest only or principal and interest they use a similar calculator they they look at your income exactly the same um and they give you a loan and you just pay it off for the next 30 years
1: um are the rates are the did, did i get the right 30 year loan term with with um with a major big bank commercial sort yeah. of side of things
2: Yep. Because I, I read rates, the other yeah. day there
1: was that there was somebody police said said the, um they were picking out an old newsletter where you, you were getting a 2.5 or something with ANZ. But That's the commercial rate. <laughs> <laughs> no. But so um, now the commercial rates are probably around sort of what a decent commercial rate around sort of five and a half percent. No, just six over six. I no, so,
3: I did an exercise yesterday. It's commercial pricing is based on the deal as well. So. Mm. Um, you know, they, the, the lenders would do a risk grade on, 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 the, uh, on the, the, the applicant, the property, um, and they've got a few systems that they use to, to, to figure out the cost of capital to do the deal. Um, but just getting back to the full dock, with the, the full dock, it's, it's exactly like a home loan with some lenders. Some lenders, it's similar to that, but they only offer a two or a three or a five-year term, um, mm-hmm. and then you would need to review that at the end of the period um and you also uh it's purely based on the cost of capital is it, cheaper for two three and five year terms at the moment two's the sweet spot um and that's how the big big guys you know the big dogs of town who you know 15 properties they're borrowing on a one two three four year term they're not borrowing a 30 year term on a 50 million dollar property um and with PAYG clients, it's similar, it's just payments and serviceability. What's interesting is um, what a lot of people don't know is self-employed clients. So if you're a self-employed client and you're doing a full doc application and you're relying on, we're relying on company income to service the, the debt, they actually need to take a, a guarantee from, from the business. So the borrower would be whoever the borrower is, a personal names or, or a trust or a company. Like there would be a guarantee as part of the loan for that, and a lot a lot of people don't know that. Um, mm. you, need, you need to get legal advice. Um, and in loans over a million dollars, some banks also require a GSA, it's a General Security Agreement. It used to be called a fixed and floating charge, um, which is a it's a register on your company's credit um, file that. That bank is ra- is ranking number one as you know, similar to a mortgage, um, for any priorities for, for losses and and they control that um, that entity. For example, if that person went bust, they they sold the property. Um, you know, if the business has assets or vehicles or, or whatever, that they, they've got the right over that. Um, so for business owners, it is very different to PYG um, for clients.
1: Is it? And that's that's only with um, that's only with full doc loans, is it? Or is that sort of for all? For- that, that's
3: with full doc loans when you're relying on company income to service the loans. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Um And then there's also with commercial as well. There's annual reviews. So with all the major banks and you know your, your bigger tier banks, there's there's an annual review process as well. So mm-hmm. I'll just really talk about property investing today because you know the trading business stuff is, is quite different. Um, but as a property investor, if your loan was over a million dollars, now it's 1.5. Um, APRA has as as uh, regulates, um, and the banks need to report to the regulators, um, you know, about every loan, and, and they allocate how they do the cost of capital allocation. Um, so the annual review is the bank it would need to at the end of every year get um, like a updated rental statements, lease tax portals. Um, to, to check the position of the client, financials for the business, if it's a trading business, and they do a little—it's not a full assessment, but a, a little mini assessment—to um, to to make sure that you know everything's trading profitably and and positive. So it's very different to residential. Residential, is if you get your loan thirty years later, you know, it's paid as off as
1: long as you keep paying it. Yeah.
2: Nick, for so you've got a residential property, and when they do the servicing, they obviously slap on the extra interest rates. They do principal and interest. They shade the rent a little bit. So therefore, like most most residential properties are negatively geared, and then that's where yeah. you're running the servicing issues. Does that mean for commercial because we're higher cash flow? And I know the answer to this because it's higher cash flow. When you run that servicing, you might actually have a little bit more borrowing capacity with full doc. Uh,
3: it depends on the lender. So some lenders actually buffer, really buffer it. Um, so they still use a 6.5% rate, uh, 7% rate, but they use the net rent. They don't actually discount any of the rent. They look at the valuation um, or they look, they find the net rents um, and then on the lease and they use the net rent. So it can, depending on the LVR um, and depending on what rates are sitting at the time, but it, it, it is possible. I've actually done some exotic deals where the client... Um, couldn't buy a residential property. I had to do an assessment, like an actual assessment, an interest. So if you, if you threw it into a, a residential calculator, it didn't work. Um, but because I'm dealing with a business bank, we, we did a weird calculation where we'd look at the net rents, would see what um, that that loan, the commercial loan, needs to service that loan, and any surplus income we then distributed to the individual as part of their home loan assessment so it wasn't buffered so um, if you if, as it because residential calculators um, and commercial calculators can be different as well so um, some residential calculators would just buffer every loan it doesn't matter if it's um, residential or commercial um, so there's some really unique ways you can do it if you've got access to um, good bankers and good banks
1: yeah. yeah, and and that's um that that's where I suppose the uh, commercial finance is not a not a sort of not a box um square square, regular, square square peg in a square hole kind of exercise. You've you've really got to um yeah, and I suppose the, the thing I was thinking about there is what at what sort of level can somebody get access to a to a business bank type relationship, or do, or is it based on the relationship of the broker?
3: Uh, So commercial lending is always done by business bankers. So if if you're an existing customer, you'd go into a – if you're a branch customer, like walk into a branch, you say, I want to do a a commercial property purchase, they would say, okay, speak to our business business bank. And it will be the call centre, guys that are doing, you know, 50K overdrafts, uh, cars on like a low – not low dock, but like a fast track policy – so they're not the right people to go to. I'm sure there's, there's good um, people in those departments, but they're probably not the, the right people to go to. The broker market and the brokers who deal with commercial um, like deals quite regularly, they've got access to um, the the business bank. So it's like a backdoor in in, in, the, in the in the banks um, where every bank's got their own different business bank, and you know some banks you, there's a team that deals on you know up to a million dollars, then a team above a million dollars, then above $3 million. Some banks, just one banker can do everything up to $3 million. So it's like I'm lucky because I've been in the industry for a while. All my mates who I used to work with at um, St. George, they're all at different banks now. So we still keep in touch. They put me mm-hmm. on the good guys in, in, in the teams. I've got my go-to bankers and um, it's really relationship-based. And, um it's definitely not just like a home loan jumping um, and submitting it to a credit manager there's always workshopping a deal upfront because um, you can you can massage deals um, purely based on, on, on all different factors merit um, you know LVR serviceability that you can think outside the box on, on, on a lot of deals
2: yeah, and this, this like is it. why Jeff like a lot of people say their residential broker can do commercial finance and they probably can. But do you want someone who's going to try to mash a deal together not knowing what they're doing or someone who runs on the board who can explore even just what Nick said and we're going to go into like Lee stock loans and all the other ones. So you, you do need someone who specializes in it.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's um, Yeah, to, even, to get, even to get a commercial or a business banker to, to speak to when I was in, when I was in that game, it's, it's really, it's, they generally just don't want it because it, it is a different type of skill set. You, you need to understand the way to put it, to structure a deal and put it together. And if you don't know how to do that, or if you're sort of just faking it till you're making it as a resi broker, it, it will—you you just won't even get them to return your calls because they're sort of—they're wasting their time. They want a, a clean and well put together deal. So, and then and once you can sort of show and demonstrate that, or you can—if you've got the relationship—then you'll get a go. But um, so let's. Uh, I guess once you've got. No,
3: the- residential brokers like residential brokers refer me business just like. They pretty much mm-hmm. say, um, my specialty is residential. If, you know, if I do a commercial yeah. deal, I'm, I'm taking away from my day-to-day activity. I'd rather just refer it on to someone I know that will get it done so they can focus on on what, what they do. Um so
2: and a yeah. lot of a lot of the time, Jeff, as well, they'll refer, they might have one contact at one bank mm-hmm. and two they're gonna go with every single time without exploring the market, but it can change dramatically. I declined oh, probably 12 months ago now. A uh, uh, re- every day residential broker said they can't get commercial finance. Then they went and actually spoke with a commercial broker and they had about two mil capacity sitting there. So, like, that's, that's a big difference when properties are game of finance, a spare two mil versus nothing is a huge difference. I
3: actually settled a deal last week for a client. So he, he bought a commercial property last year um, with, with his um, regular broker he deals with and, um, he ended up having to buy it in cash. They just did a cash out of his resume. It was just too hard. And so he came to me thinking, okay, we've got uh you know eight weeks to settle. Can we get it done? And it was, it was you know, it was pushing me, but it was like saying, like, are you sure are you sure can we get it I've got the cash, I'll just buy it in cash. Got approved docs ready to settle four weeks to go. And he was like, Are you serious? Like, it's very it's very easy if you have the right bankers and the right contacts,
1: and you just know where to go. Yeah you know the policy and you know what what, what sort of what, what the appetite is for certain assets as well for each um yeah interesting so one, once we do full doc where do we go for after full doc in commercial so lease stock
3: is a, it's a it's a newish product with a lot of the banks um i actually know one of the guys who who um, is one of my old analysts he actually created the lease stock product at westpac in st george um but Traditionally, banks have property investment sector policy, so it's it is lease stock, but they just didn't call it lease stock. Um, where um, and the lease stock product is more for the small SME market, small business. It's it's up to three mil, but some banks are moving up to five mil. But that you know, over five mil, it's it's pretty much that's that's how you, you, you do commercial lending um, for for investment properties. So it's pretty much a standalone assessment of the property, so commercial property, usually a standard security office um, warehouse or retail, but then there's also specific policies for childcare um, and uh, petrol stations, boarding houses, they've got their own individual policy, um, and then the LVR is different. But for lease stock it's net rents, whatever the property provides in net rent, um, versus the interest expense, with with a I call it a buffer just to clients, but they, they assess it under an interest cover ratio. So it's just to explain it easy. It's an interest cover ratio is 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 two times interest cover or one point five times interest cover. So whatever the actual rate is, call it five percent. Um, uh, two times they're assessing it, at, call it ten percent. One point five times they're assessing it at seven and a half percent. So they 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 use a buffer like that rather than like a it's kind of similar, but instead of loading the rate, um, yeah. they yeah. they they do an interest cover ratio assessment. So the term of the loan is usually in line with the lease. So you probably need a, 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 a lease a two years or more to make it acceptable for most banks. Um, but some banks, if you get a five-year lease, they might only, you might only choose a two or a three-year. Term, just because of the cost of capital and, and the, the rates are cheaper. Um, LVR policy-wise is some lenders go to 70%, some lenders go to 65%. But that doesn't mean you can actually get that. So what's happened now since the rates have gone up, the serviceability is causing um, the, the the net rent versus the interest the interest has gone up, which has then brought down the loan amount in serviceability. So it's... So clients are telling me, oh, the banks are toughening up. They've reduced their LVRs on lease stock. I go, no, they haven't, actually. The interest rates have gone up and you don't service a 70% um, loan. So a year ago, the, the any day of the week, any property a 4% yielding property, 70%. Easy. No problem. Um, now, I... Base everything off a six percent net return. I give examples to people because that's just what I see with people buying in in, in, in cash flow areas. Um, so at the moment, an achievable LVR is sixty-ish. Dep- there's a few lenders that do it between fifty-five and sixty-five percent, but like call it
1: sixty percent um, is 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 where it sits on average. Wow, that's um. And Steve, so are you starting to see? Have Have you started to see people want higher yielding sort of assets to to counteract uh, lease stock, or does that actually help? Like, yeah, how do you? Know
2: yes, and that's that's the reason they say they want a higher yielding asset. But five years ago, when I was buying at seven and eight percent net yields, they wanted eight to ten percent yields. They always they always want more than they can get. But like like Nick said, it's getting harder for the lease stock where you could buy like a six, seven percent yielding one a few years ago and interest rates were low. It was like you said, any day of the week, you get in lease stocks are really attractive, easy to do. Now, like you said, I need to have be buying at like six percent plus for it to even make sense for the broker to get the to get the deal over the line. Yeah. It's
3: it's it's quite good the products. I've personally done it. A lot of clients of mine have done it, but you need the cash. So you actually you need the cash first to put into the deal so today's climate i've got a lot of residential clients come to me that bought you know five properties you know through buyers agents that just kept buying properties and they go i don't know people have read maybe steve mcknight's book or some book and they say you know once you tap out with commercial go to residential it doesn't work like that anymore because if you've got all this equity in your residential property and you want to go buy a commercial, but your serviceability doesn't work because your interest rates have gone up and you haven't done a loan since last year and you're already at your maximum borrowing capacity, you've got all this debt equity sitting in your commercial property you can't access. So the person wants to do, they the, you know, might have a million dollars in equity, accessible equity, but they don't service it. So they can't do the, the lease doc. they can't do a full dock. Um, I've seen a lot of clients at the moment, they're selling down properties that have um, they've got capital growth, they look at the portfolio and they say, well, I've made capital growth, the the yield's not too good, the interest rate's not too good. Um, it's 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 hurting the bank. I'm just gonna I'm going sell that, cash out, and then roll that into a commercial property.
2: Which wow. which is exactly what I've done, Jeff. I've sold a few of my residential properties in Sydney where I feel like we're at pretty close to the top of the market and the yield's quite poor, and transition into that commercial just to beef up that passive income. But again, it's 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 circumstantial. You got to look at your, what, what you're trying to achieve. I'm in the transition phase because I've got a big residential portfolio. If you're starting out, that's obviously not the strategy. Uh, But, Nick, do you want to maybe go through what happens at the end of the lease stock loan? So say we get a three-year lease, you get the three-year lease stock loan. What happens at the end of the three years?
3: I should actually disclaimer everything I'm saying that this is not financial advice. Um, You can contact me if you want more information and I can help you. But definitely (laughs) this is just general chit-chat. So got the
1: ACL sort of stuff as well. Have, yeah, Joe hasn't got his little cop disclaimer thing that he should send that to me so I can put it up on the screen.
3: But. So it is... Typically, in normal environments, um, you will you get to the end of your commercial term um, or before the end of your commercial term, your, your lease is up mm-hmm. um, or you'll, you've, you've got a new lease and if you're over a million dollars now 1.5, you actually have annual reviews. So every year you're reviewing the loan anyway with the latest rental statement or the lease. So the lender would um, align the term of the loan with the lease. Some do it a little bit longer just to screw it off just to make it round numbers. Some do it a little bit less. They don't want to kick you out. That's not their goal. Um, their goal is to retain you as a client, but for, for the purpose of, you know, reporting and, and banking, they need to, to 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 consistently do this. So at the end of the term or before the end of the term, if you're if you've got six months out to the end of your term, you get a or whenever your lease comes through, you then go back to the bank and then you review you review the loan. So you send your bank up or you you have a contact. If you've got a commercial loan, you'll always have a banker or you go to your broker who will manage it for you um, and you get your, your lease and you 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 then roll over the term for another period of time. Or there could be a better bank for you at the time who's offering um, you know, better serviceability or better rates. So you could then refinance to another bank. Um, typically, you know, with commercial, you, your rent does increase over time. Um, in this current climate, the rate's higher. So the people that did a loan a few years ago, um, you know, serviceability might be a little bit, Shaky, but like I said, the banks don't want to kick you out, they don't want to be on a current affair, they're just doing everything for reporting purpose. If you do get to the end of your term and you don't have a lease, they're not going to put you out there. You'd go into a a notice period where they work with you, they might extend your term for six months or a period of time. Um, But yeah, they they always want to work with you, they won't come in and sell it from underneath you. Um, But what I always say to clients, buy. Good quality asset. That's that's number one. Don't buy, I don't know, uh, f- f- something in a mining town that you know Chinese restaurant in mining town that might close next year, and you know you might have uh, vacancy for five years. That's that's probably not the right property for, for lease stock. You want to have a really good quality property.
1: Yeah. That's what does um? I was going
2: to say, Jeff. One of the points that a lot of people get that fear that the banks is going to take their property and sell it and get their money and run away. They they do work with you. Obviously you have to keep paying your mortgage. If you can't if you stop paying your mortgage, you're probably in trouble. But that's the same for residential as well. You stop paying Correct. your residential mortgage, they come after you. So that's the point. Um, what it's, I want to touch on though.
1: It's not in the bank's best interest, um, pun intended, for them to, to do anything with that because if they if they repossess the property or whatever they do, they they don't have to it's on their books, they have to sell it to somebody. So they have to figure out what they what they're gonna do. So yeah, it's not in there. <laughs> If the client's
3: paying the monthly, monthly, um, like mortgage payment, if they're making money. They're happy. It's just um, sometimes banks just get a bit weird. They have got systems that you know alert, you know, annual reviews and reporting, and the bankers don't want to be in breach of their like their portfolio to manage the 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 annual reviews. But like when I was working in the bank and as a broker, I've seen the banks they want to work with you. They want you, they want your business. And they want more business from you. Um, had some annual reviews recently they failed the interest cover ratio test for 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 banks then the the banks are working with the clients um, so yeah they're not they're not booting out anyone
1: so so believe what i was going to say what um what's what's what sort of great deals are you oh, oh I'll, 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 i kind of want to ask this first actually what, what what sort of LVRs um, typically? Because I, I want to know what 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 um, what are they financing at eighty percent LVR? What type of assets? I know it's dependent on the deal. Is has to be a super strong deal, I imagine, to get that eighty percent LVR.
2: No, I'll let Nick so answer that. It's, it's going to come down to servicing.
3: So I can I can I can run you through the eighty percent product. So, um, actually, I'll, I'll mention this, but then I'll, I'll talk about another type of finance as well. So. Um, the, there's one particular major bank, they, they go to 80% for loans yeah. up to $1 million. It's a tick and flip product, um, and that's for investors. So it can be PAYG or self-employed, as a, as a um, see, one of the only banks that allow 80% loan, but they cap it at a million dollar loan. So you can buy a property, $1.25 million
1: loan, 80%. I do a lot of them. I imagine uh, that, has to be full doc. Huh? That definitely has to be full full doc, 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 wouldn't
3: it? Full doc, yeah. correct. Um, For the self-employed component, there is a part of that policy where you can, um, it's like a a BAS and self-declaration. So what I was alluding to before, self-employed people have a lot more levers to pull compared to a PAYG client. It's low-doc, no-doc. There's a lot of different things. Um, But that particular bank, 80%, 1.25, they're the only PAYG 80% loan. They will move to 1.5 soon, um, and then for self-employed, there's other lenders that will do 80% for self-employed clients. There is one lender who will do 80, so 85% commercial loan, but it's for an owner-occupier commercial property. It's not for an investor. So um, yeah. they've all got their own niches. But like talking about the LODOC as well, for self-employed clients, low LODOC products. There are 80% low-doc products. Um, there are 75% low-doc products. Um, so low-doc product is mainly for a client who essentially hasn't done their tax returns, and this year they haven't lodged their tax returns, and they, this year is higher than the last year that they lodged, so that they're self-declaring that their income um, just because they haven't done their financials. Um, that's really what the low doc product is for. It's not for getting, you know, some dodgy accountant to say you earned ten times the amount of money that you did. That's that's not what it's for. As a broker, we've got to do our due diligence and, and make sure we actually verify in the background, um, other sources of income, just to tick that off. Um, but with self-employed clients, there's, there's a few more levers to pull than um, a PAYG client.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a, and, and what, what sort of assets typically, um, so you're probably not going to get a petrol station, 80% LVR, mm-hmm. I'd imagine.
3: Yeah, they call it, the banks call it standard commercial security office, warehouse, um, industrial, um, most major banks really that they're, they're pretty, um, they're pretty good with location. So like I know most people, um, especially through buyers agents, they buy within an hour of a CBD or a major metro area. So they're fine. But some of the major banks will go to 80% in you know, a regional town. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 as long as it's a standard security.
2: They're, they're basically trying to assess risk, Jeff. Like it's like a, as, as when you're buying yourself, you don't want to go buy a property that's going to sit there vacant for 10 years. And then same things like petrol stations. Obviously, if that closes down, it's not a one, two-month vacancy period like a warehouse in a capital city that's going to be vacant for a very long time. There's environmental factors where you'd have to infill it in and get it all signed off and things like that. And then, like Nick mentioned, specialised ones as well. Child care, people love child care, but there's actually a lot of risk with it that they're not aware of. Then yeah. special ones like car washes, uh, cinemas, stuff like that. Anything that's slightly special that's not versatile, the banks are definitely going to have a look at.
3: They look at their exit position, like who, who could they sell it to? Um, and like Steve said, the cinema, it's, it's purpose-built. Uh, 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 car wash is also purpose-built. And there's a lot of – it could be contamination because it's probably an old servo anyway. Um, and same as, yeah, service stations.
1: That was crazy how they're, they're rebuilding IMAX again in, in Darling Harbour. Like what, what's the go yes. there? They knocked it down – knocked it down five years ago what it was or, or six seven years ago now they're rebuilding why did they knock it down they should have just kept it that's crazy but anyway i, I didn't even I, know I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't i don't get out much these days but um <clears throat> so smsfs what what are what are we sort of um what what's special or is there anything special around commercial finance and smsf lending what, what does that sort of look like
3: it's pretty easy super fun lending it's probably the easiest of 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 all lending um but with the high interest rates, borrowing capacity is um, is is just it's not as not as much as twelve months ago. So um, standard, the person um, to PAYG clients, uh, pay slip, how much do you pay yourself? Super, uh, you receive super, annualize that, that plus the rent equals how much you can borrow. So um, it's very simple. That's traditionally how all the lenders work, but there are some lenders where you could, if they want to buy a larger property, they can. Um, you can do an external serviceability. So you could say, okay, husband and wife are on 100K each, that's say $10,000 each in super, but they really need 20K each or 25K each. So you can do a serviceability assessment personally to say, okay, they've got that extra capacity to contribute more money. Um, it's usually not so much because most people, when they're buying super, they have probably exhausted out their uh, personal serviceability um, as a PAYG client. Self-employed, it's a little bit different because a self-employed business can actually rent from the super fund. So you can, um, you can look at the whole business income um, and look at the rent that they were paying, add that back as, as non-recurring income. So there's a few more levers with self-employed clients as well. Um LVRs that's 80% commercial. Um, I've never done one. The rates are, they start to get steep. Um, and some lenses get a bit weird with location, so with at 80%. Um, but it's sweet spot, I see 70% um, or 65%. It's a tiered pricing, so depending on the client. I personally went to 70, um, and traditionally most people go to P&I 30 years. You can do interest only, but most people just choose P&I, um, and no major bank plays in that space. It's all non-banks. Um, so you actually need a broker to use these banks. The banks actually don't um, – a lot of these banks
2: don't do direct clients. Yeah. Nick, what um, what interest rates are you seeing at the moment for self-managed super fund finance?
3: I think the last one I looked at the other day was about 7.5%, I think. So I think it was 7.5%. Um, and then, you know, there's establishment fees, monthly fees, valuation fees. So uh, it costs a bit of money, but, you know, once you do it, 30-year terms, you no know, and you review it, these are like home loans. It's purely 30 years, PI paid off the next 30 years. Um, you can't... There is one lender that does offset for commercial at an 80% loan. Um, it's pretty weird, but um, it's, a good, it's a very good product. I do um, I know in lender
1: yeah.
2: Like, yeah, like you mentioned, know. Nick, as well, most, most people have a pay-down strategy for their self-managed super fund as well. And then there's, there's some tax advantages as well. You can do additional contributions to save on tax. So most people's goal is to pay that off as quick as possible and then just have the income generated for itself there.
3: Yeah. Some people they but, want to buy another property, so that's where the offset works. Um, it is. It doesn't mean it's the best product in market. Uh, most people actually choose the lender without the lenders without offset. But there is no redraw. So once you pay your loan, you can't go in and redraw it back out. Um, and when you refinance, you can't. Um, you can refinance a super fund loan. It's a bit of a pain. Um, you've got to get all your, your documents from when you did it originally, and trust deeds and all that legal advice but you can't increase your loan. So you can refinance it and like round it up to cover fees and charges, but you can't um, pay it back. So I always say to my clients, what's your long-term goal? Do you want to buy another property or do you want to just pay it down? Because if you want to buy another property, just be mindful you can't um, can't money into the loan because you can't get it back out. So that's offset product can can work quite well. Um, But yeah.
2: You, you touched on a couple of points there, so I'll jump in, Jeff. Um, valuations and establishment fees and things like that, because that's obviously different with residential. Do you want to go through those as well?
3: So, valu- valuations are mainly paid by the client for all commercial transactions. Sometimes, bank, they, they'll run a promotion and they want to get business, but so kind of mainly the client. For it. They vary. So, Sydney, quite expensive, it's doing one right now. Um, Preston's, Western Sydney, for a client. Two and a half grand, um, but you're know, doing one in Queensland, thirteen hundred dollars. So it does vary sometimes. In um, Sydney, they, they charge a premium, um, and it can be um, property like type it's a single um, asset, or if there's multiple um, multiple assets in in, in the block, um, they can. I've seen valuations of you know twenty grand, um, and then establishment fee. It's a percents of the um, of the loan amount. So. It depends on the lender. It can range from 0.9% of a percent, um, if a super, to 1.5%. Um, outside of super, the establishment fees range from a quarter of a percent to 1%. But on average, it's about half a percent. There are some lenders that they, um, they're running promotions and they say free establish- no, no establishment fee. But what that actually means, they'll just lower the rate a little bit. So... Um, when someone gets a free, um, in a commercial bank, they have a pricing tool. They put the property in, they put the term, and they, they seek a return. And it has to be approved by the pricing team. So a lot of the banks are not just waiving the establishment fee. Um, they're waiving the establishment fee, but they're not giving you the best rate. So sometimes it's better paying the establishment fee one off and getting a better rate for the life of the loan. Yeah, I, I, I get a, I get
2: a lot of clients, Jeff, who all of a sudden they see the establishment fee and they kind of kick up a bit of a stink, like oh, I didn't budget that five ten grand. So you you do have to take that count, cost into account.
1: Yeah, I, I I love that we're seeing the raw kind of information here. We're not we're not seeing the rosy like let's go and buy like fifteen commercials in the next five years and 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 get a fancy calculator spreadsheet thing that's going gonna... <laughs> nah, to. Sorry, pleasey, but I couldn't couldn't help myself. But nah, it's, it's good to. Good to hear the the sort of the on the ground sort of insights, and then you can yeah, like as you said before the live uh, sort of crushes your dream selling a little bit, Polisi. But I don't know, I don't know why you wanted Nick to come on. But um, I, this this is an interesting one because I, I didn't think about this because typically in a residential, it's eighty percent LVR. They sort of start charging LMI. Like, what, what's the go with commercial and LMI? Is there LMI and commercial or LMI? Uh,
3: No LMI. So with major banks, the way it works is. In their risk grading model, they've got um, a few, a few like risk grading benchmarks. So uh, usually, if on an eighty percent product, you pay a little bit more. Um, it, in some banks, they call it partially secured, so it's fully secured up to sixty-five or seventy percent, and then up to eighty percent. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's the risk grade requires a little bit more um, of a high interest rate sometimes. But for example, that product, 80% at a million dollars, it's pretty much the same as other banks at 65, 70%. So it just depends. Um, there is no
2: LMI.
1: It's just, uh, just reflected in the risk, in the, and that'll uh, reflect the rate as well.
2: well. it's also why you can't get 90% loans, Jeff? So most LMIs, because people are going to 85, 90, 95% loans with residential, you, you can't do that with commercial
1: um let's see somebody somebody said oh, this is an interesting one it's it's a bit bit detailed in a sense or a bit sort of micro somebody said we're buying commercial property with an smsf why do some lenders want full history and docs while some keep it contained just in the smsf is that because of their risk appetite like what, what is the reason why their policy or is it the borrower type or what's
3: the oh it depends so the if they want to see a full history of like your, your income, your employment, because that's how you get paid the super. Um, so I'm, I'm just talking purely based on um, existing. Uh, so brand new super funds are set up and then now you're showing serviceability from uh, from you personally through your retail super contributions to to, to buy in the super fund. Um, some, some lenders, um, you, yeah, you you still need to provide like an asset and liability position, your full details, financials. You need to still provide it all. But in the background, they're only just looking at one calculator that looks at super plus rent um, and the loan. Um, Unless you, like I mentioned in the example before, that you need to uh, do a bit of an exotic serviceability assessment to to take out some some extra serviceability to add to super. And that's what's a full assessment.
1: Mm, yeah great um, f- before we um, have we like there's so much we could continue to cover for commercial finance is there is there any absolutely sort of really blaring sort of things that we should we should cover off because I, I really want to I want to hear about deals too Polisi so I love talking finance and I also love buying deals so you've got a couple of have prepared but is there anything Nick that or even Polisi jump in ask the question that we should be asking about commercial property finance what should we be looking at and thinking about
3: There was one Plain thing I should. on, there was one thing I was about to say as well before when we we're talking about super funds. It's actually so before refinancing was was a nightmare, and it was, there are some banks now that it's called a fast track refinance. So it's yeah. pretty much they look at your your current repayment versus like and then the rent. So if your rent covers the the repayment, it's it's approved like it's, it's as simple as that. So there's with commercial, it, there's so many different ins and outs of policy inside super and outside super that people don't even know about just because you know, not many people talk about, you know, commercial compared to residential.
1: And not many people have the depth of knowledge that, that somebody like yourself and, and has the has the sort of lending contacts. Because I think, as, as I said a couple of times, it's a lot to do with the relationships because if you have those and, then you may be able to get a deal across the line that another broker may not be able to, cause they don't know how to workshop the deal.
3: And that's the thing. Every deal is different. Everyone's financial situation, property, everything is like every deal you do. It's, it's, it's not the same. So, um, you know, like with like first homeowner stuff, you know, to husband, wife, payg buying their first home, it, it, you, you can replicate that. And there's a lot of those scenarios out there for, for brokers that do it. Um, and, you know, probably not that good at two yGs um, buying their first home. My specialty is actually the complex residential and the complex self-employed um, and commercial. So,
1: so is it is, is it realistic to to think that uh, so an on, under a million dollars commercial asset provider, it's like a warehouse or something not too like not a petrol station or a childcare. Is it realistic to sort of see that somebody could get a seventy percent LVR loan these days, or is it? Is a bit tough given the the interest rates have gone up. You need to go to sixty percent.
3: It comes down to serviceability. So if they service it, we could get them eighty percent. It's no issue. If they don't, um, it's just a full doc um, basis. Um, and then it's just if they're just whatever they can service, if they can service eighty percent, we can get it. Um, calculator yeah. is similar to residential. So um, the only issue is with commercial. It's not an issue, but it's actually a good thing. Um, we don't get access to a lot of the major banks commercial calculators as brokers internally computer system that they use the good thing is we package up a scenario we send it to our favorite banker they they run their eyes over it they do the numbers they come back to us um, and they say yep it's a, it's a deal so with residential you actually have to package the deal send it straight to a credit assessor um, and, you know, a good broker knows the deal will get approved. They're not just uh, shooting and, and, and praying that it will get approved, but just the, the extra um, layer of workshopping with um, the banker. The banker, if there's any hairs or any um, needs a bit of a massage, if there's you know, every, every situation is different, they can pick up the phone, have that to credit, come back and say, yep, um, you know, after a discussion of just a scenario, we can do this. So yeah uh, you are know, not really letting down the client and sending on a journey if, you, if you're having the right conversations and dealing with the right people up front.
2: Um, yeah. That actually alludes well, Jeff, into another topic I want to talk about is pre-approvals, but I feel like you want to run an ad or something like that. So do you want to... Um... No, no, we can
1: talk pre-approvals. How long are we, are we going to be talking for half an hour about pre-approvals? Or are we talking... <laughs>
2: No, nah, we'll, we'll get Nick to give us a summary of like what the difference. So everyone knows with residential, you go and get a pre-approval. It gives you a magic number that you're allowed to spend to with some confidence. Nick, do you yeah. want to go on what the difference is with commercial and residential with pre-approvals?
1: Can, can, so- I, can I just take that up? And I want to to hear your thoughts on resi pre-approvals. I'm, I'm not a huge – I mean, for me, I'm not saying to people go out tomorrow and not and go and buy a property without a pre-approval because that's a little bit reckless maybe. But I just – for me, I, I found that um, – you have to have that conversation with the broker understand what your capacity is but i found pre approvals particularly if they're auto assessed but you need to understand well has anyone had somebody looked at this pre approval if they haven't then it's kind of not really worth the paper it's written on so i kind of i, I would want to understand what i can borrow but yeah pre i don't know i'm a bit controversial there, nick or what are your thoughts on resi pre approvals first
3: um some lenders fully assess some people um Uh, Some don't, Um, and it just really depends on the client. Um, It's a good answer to that. I I deal a lot with business banks, even for residential. So for self-employed clients, high net worth private banking clients as well, you get access to the banker, and then you workshop the deal with them. Um, You can do pre-approvals, and it's a fully assessed pre-approval. But a good broker. We'll manage the client, you know, potentially get them to have finance clause if, if they've just gone to auction. Um, but, you know, with the high interest rate environment, the goalposts you can see, you know, it's always changing. So um, yeah. you need to keep close yeah. to your clients um, to make sure that you've allowed enough buffers. Um, I still I still do pre-approvals um, with, with banks, but um, the right banks. But for commercial pre-approval, it's a weird one. It's purely property-based. So there's no such thing as a, a lease off pre-approval. It's You need the property and we need to do the numbers. Um, and um, so I give examples. I always use a 6% net return as an example. Um, I keep refreshing. Um, you know, I spoke to clients and I tell them to go away, find a property, present it to me. I'll run the numbers with multiple banks. I'll present you the current offers and then, you know, you can you can buy from there. But I tell them, keep your range open. So if your budget's a meal, maybe drop it a little bit and keep your range open um, because I've got clients, you know, the budget was X a year ago, the rate Just kept them missing out and now their budget's like, you know, 70% of what they could have bought last year. Now they're annoyed because they it's to buy, you know, a million dollar property. Now they can only buy a $600,000 property. So, um, and then for full doc, it's um, some lenders do it. Some lenders don't, most don't. Um, it's property based as well. Um, it's definitely property based. That that eighty percent at a million dollar loan amount, one point two five property um, you can buy. It. They do pre approvals, but it's hard. They're like, are you sure the client's going to get six percent? You know, return um, when you're dealing with a, with a banker down in Melbourne. Um, because you need to deal with a banker from where the client lives uh, with that particular bank. So I'm like, yeah, six percent net return. They're like, I've never seen that before. I'm like, well, you're in Melbourne. And it's like, you're
1: in Melbourne. Hey, isn't that funny that that that, uh, that Nathan Swift like I wonder if he's watching tonight. I, I, yeah, because it's like, oh, why, why do you want to buy in Melbourne?
2: Because uh, yeah, but um yeah, Jeff Nick's made a really good point. I've had brokers where in the past they'll they'll do like like Nick said, four percent, and they'll come back and say, oh, you can borrow seven hundred thousand. Then they go speak with Nick or another broker who says it does it based on 6% and all of a sudden they've got a million dollars. So the broker needs to know what you're buying, which is also hard as an investor because sometimes you don't know what you're buying because like I'm more than happy to buy a McDonald's at 5%, whereas if I'm buying a little warehouse in Brisbane, I want 6%. So I still want to be able to look at both deals and you need a broker that can look at both Sometimes you- I'll even have to send a, a sample contract, even if we're not buying that property, to the broker just so we can get a bit of a thumbsucker where the figure might be.
1: Have you bought a Macca's before, um, Polisi? No,
2: nah, not on. the no. I've got a KFC and a Subway, not not McDonald's yet.
1: KFC. I, I remember some some uh, companies advertising had KFC in it. I think didn't they? I remember that one. Uh, somebody. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the
3: a lot of the deals come down to. Me. The valuation, so you can't actually approve or review a deal until you get the valuation because the the net rent could be inflated. So they'll adopt the market rent. Um, you might have a lease it's five years old or ten years old, and they've just like done a handshake agreement um, of what's actually um, the increases every year. So the, the document that you're reading doesn't actually reflect the current rent, um, and agents lie and you know miss out on outgoings and stuff. So if you're saying yep, it's net round of x and you get value valuation and they're like no it's actually different and you're really like tight in serviceability the banks they don't want to put themselves in a position where they've approved the loan and it actually falls short because of the yeah. information wasn't at the time
2: one one of the horrible things jeff for nick is because people are looking at deals every time they find a deal on real commercial They go, oh nick what about this one what about this one what about this one well and all that is sending is high level information so He's doing this analysis without even securing a property. So try not to do that, people. Try to at least have a chat with the agent and get a realistic price expectation and the likelihood that your offer might be accepted before you just kind of go down that rabbit hole, waste too much of your own time and the
1: broker's time. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's like when a, uh, in, in Resi, it happens a lot as well. They'll go to, a, a, a person will go to one, one broker and say, oh, what, what's the best rate you can get me? And they'll go to three or four other brokers and ask the same question what's the best rate I you can get Well, it's like, well, you can Google that if you want. I mean, it's, I I don't see that I can give you a rate, but you may not be eligible to get that rate. So, yeah. yeah. So
2: the, good, the good thing with residential, most people have a targeted area. So they're like, okay, I'm going to focus on these suburbs. And then they can kind of get a feel for, okay, this is where the price is going to be. This is what the rent's going to be. With commercial, you don't know if you're buying an 80 square meter warehouse or a 300 square meter, where you're buying, what the lease terms are, uh, how long the lease is, what the yield is, where it is, if it's got mezzanine areas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, bank guarantee. So there's a few more moving parts with it.
1: Controversial opinion, you just said there, Nick, as well that agents don't tell the truth. Like they they uh, they may massage the outgoings or the expenses. I mean, not,
3: not all agents, but I've seen deals where you know uh, that, that that's a good thing about buyers agents. They 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 do a due diligence period. They absolutely review everything, which protects the client To before they've committed. So they've signed the contract, due diligence, and the finance. So if the due diligence fails, you, you bomb the deal. If the valuation fails, you walk out. So um, I've seen many times before where um, the net rent was not the net rent um, quite yeah. a few times. I'm sure Steve said it 100 times more than me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I've said all time. Some, sometimes it's actually the opposite as well. Sometimes the net rent's much higher, but the agent doesn't even know because they're just presenting the information that got told originally. And there's been good rental increases, or they've behind closed doors up the rent for a reason, and you actually get a bigger return than expected.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, great. Well, let's um, should we after this? I'd, I'd love to talk and an actual couple of deals, and and if we could get commentary from Nick. I don't know, is, is that would that be? I reckon that'd be interesting. And, and throw your questions in as well, people. If you want to know about commercial finance, any any aspect of it, we'll do our best to answer it. So while I'm going to start... Going to, so we've got the, the ad of the hour. We've got Sleazy <laughs> coming up. This is why he comes on so he can watch his own, watch his own sponsor. So here we go.
0: The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yields, so you can expect anywhere between six to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now with big rewards comes some risk and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible and the way you do that is with expert due diligence and this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey
1: here we are oh, yeah. so it's interesting that joe says wild like in six to ten percent like i don't know I've, I've that, that was good.
2: remember that was that was made a year ago when i first started sponsoring the group and the book is also 100 percent off so if you go use the code word Ozprop, it's a free book
1: oh please giving it away giving everything away <laughs> the, the kitchen sinking, yeah so um oh yeah have you haven't changed that back yet
2: no i don't think so <laughs> i got too lazy
1: I should, I should get another one. doesn't matter.
2: I, I can let everyone know books aren't a huge money maker for me. you like, make a couple of dollars a book. You've got to sell a lot of books to make good money. For me, it's just get the information out there. It just builds confidence because obviously I give all the information out. There. There's no secrets in the book. You can look at my due diligence checklist and all that stuff. You can do it yourself if you need.
1: Yeah. So let's, um. Let's, should we, have you got a couple of deals that you're on?
2: Yeah, um, I've, I've chosen a bit of a variety as well. Uh, let me just cool. see if I can get this to present all right. Screen.
1: While, while we're getting it up um nick what what are what are lenders appetites and i know it's case by case and all that sort of stuff but typically what, what what do they think about office space are they just is that really on the nose for as a as an asset class in commercial or
3: no it's it's actually um so office the industrial is priority uh with the banks they love it um office is okay depending on the location um Retail, one particular major bank has, um, so when I was talking about the interest cover ratio before, um, offices and warehouses, 0.5 times the interest rate is the, how they assess it. With the retail, 1.5 times. Oh, 1. So it's yeah. you know 5% rate times by 1.5, 7.5. 1. 5. Some banks are two times the interest rate. Um, the, and this is actual rate, interest only. So there's no p and it's the physical rate. Um, there's one particular bank. They've hit their major bank, hit their retail cap, or they just don't like it. You need to assess it at three times the rate. So if say the rate six percent now, three times six. Yeah, that's the assessment rate. Your LVR is thirty, forty percent if you're lucky. Um, they just they've hit their cap. They don't want it. So. Yeah.
1: Crazy. So what, what are we what, looking
3: like, at here, please? Sorry, was that negative so they are that same lender actually has the highest LVR for industrial, so they like industrial they just they're open for business they just don't want retail
1: does it does that change as often as, as it does for res uh, resi policy like when I was in like it would resi policy would change for lenders every week like how, how often are they changing their appetite for each asset class or... um,
3: the asset class. Policies have changed; uh, haven't changed too much. It's just it's in this high interest rate environment, um, the, the the way they assess serviceability just to it's because they use actual rates with the interest cover um, as as the buffer. The some lenders have actually added a little bit of extra buffer just to just to uh, combat these times. So um, yeah. that's why you've got to just be on the tools and just be dealing with the banks every month just to keep on top of it.
1: The report. What have we got here? What's this? I've right, like chosen a
2: few examples because I want to get Nick's opinion on how the finance changes. So I've chosen like the big bopper one. This is like a three point four seven five, I think, mil one. Then I've got like a regional retail multi tenancy one, and then I've got a couple stock standard warehouses at different price points. So um, Nick actually knows this one. I chose this one intentionally. So Nick actually did the finance on this property. It's just a big steel fabrication um, warehouse. You can see a lot of, lot of area to kind of use and do things with down the track. But the main thing for this one is just it's a really long lease. It's a good yield. It's in Sunshine Coast. Which is some of the tightest vacancy rates in Australia as well. Um, one thing to point out, though, so Nick's seen this many times, just do diligence on a commercial where 93 pages long. Like, that's, that's the type of work you need to do on a commercial. It's not just, I'll check flood zones and easements. That's kind of it. So it's a bit kind of work to it. Um, but basically, there's a bit of a summary for it. So it's a, a 3,000 square metre site, 1,400 uh, building area, um, plenty of car spots, plenty of kind of lay down areas, got mezzanines, got all that type of stuff. I'll show you a few photos there so you get a bit of an idea. But it's just a, just a big fabricator, um, kind of just a tick the box one. But it's a higher price point so like i said it's 3.475 um rents 210 grand a year so we're, we're up a good i think was that what 6.5 percent net yield uh and then we actually had an extended settlement on this one so it actually starts with a fresh five-year lease as we settled on it last week so nick do you want to maybe just give a quick overview from the finance side of things for for this property
3: uh, it's funny, actually. You know how I said before the uh, the, the client who had a uh, experience with a broker last year, and he was just going to buy this outright because he didn't think he could get finance like in time. That's um, the client we got finance approved in four weeks with um, eight week settlement period, um, and yeah, it's a this was done under a, a, a lease stock assessment um, because I can't really say too much about the client's personal situation for privacy purposes. But, uh, you know, uh, quite a successful person. It's got a bunch of stuff going on in the background. Um, to simplify it, um, we did a lead stock assessment um, and major bank bank. Um, and yeah, offered the
2: client a couple of different options. Um, one was higher, uh, one was a- Yeah, I was going to say, when you're spending, say, two, three mil plus, uh, there are different lenders for that that you typically go to versus the sub one mil, like we mentioned before.
3: Yeah, so that sub one mil uh, with that particular bank that's a pure team that just they just pump that out all day. Um, the, the other lenders, um, some other lenders have got the teams which just have a little bit of a higher limit, um, two mil, three mil, um, and then the corporate banking or commercial banking starts with some banks at two or it starts at three. So this is still within the SME, like SME segment, um, so. Put it to put it to market, the client um, presented him with multiple options. He One had a higher LVR, one had a, a, a little bit of a lower LVR, but you know, 50K, 100K, it wasn't too much. Um, and But a much better rate and the client um, pick, picked that particular lender. Um, it was a two-year term um, purely for cost of funds, um, uh, serviceability, uh, so cost of funds rate. Um, and yeah, it's a, client was extremely happy
2: um yeah, yeah so th- this jeff is just kind of a typical it's a, it's a bigger cost but i wanted nick to kind of talk about one he did the deal but more kind of the high price stuff if it changes anything um but yeah it's just just a, a big tick the box got some future value-add opportunities got a really long lease good area with low vacancy rates um just kind of tick the box so there's that one As always, do due diligence. You can download my due diligence checklist from my website for free. So interview the tenant as well and find out what their plans are. Obviously do the comparable sales, comparable rentals, check the council approvals, insurances, uh, check all lease review, contract review, find out the vacancy periods in the region for different size assets and things like that. So just kind of quickly summarizing on this one. We don't have to do it on the other ones. Um, Obviously, going through the comparables is the hardest part as an investor because it's not just look at a square meter, right? You need to look at what the lease terms are on each of the types of properties. So you can see here, like we obviously go on core logic and go through as much as we can. Then we go to the auction results. Then we find out what's currently selling on the market at the time. So we speak with agents, we speak with property mm-hmm. managers. We try to get as much kind of comparable information as we can there. Um, Yeah, and just cross-check everything. So rentals, sales, vacancies, you can see here, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of comparables we have to go through as opposed to residential where you can choose five or six applicable ones and that's enough. This one, there's a lot of work. So there's normally a couple days worth of work just really diving into the kind of comparable sales as you can see. Um, So there's that one. This one's a little bit more of an interesting one. So this one's actually just, in Devon. Just going
1: back to that, um, do, do you present this um, to when, you, when you're workshopping the deal, or when you, or you just sort of use it as reference, Nick, or do you use that at all? These kind of reports,
2: you being for the client or for the lender?
1: Uh, for the for the lender when you present when you're sort of trying to get the deal across the line from a lending perspective. I'll let Nick answer
2: for
3: this you. This usually comes in later, um, and. Um, the due diligence usually comes in later in the piece while valuation um, we use so like for example on this deal before um, we've even uh, ordered valuation or committed to the bank um, Steve did a, a full like um, like memorandum information about the property cash flow uh, like like more of a simplified due diligence just to present to the client which then the client sent to me I then um, I I send that to the bank and make it uh, remove a few things. I send it to the bank pretty much and say, look, this is the deal. I think, like, how good am I? Like, I'm the one that did it. It wasn't me. It was actually Steve. Um, They can pretty much run the numbers straight away off the the initial um, preparation. Um, And then the valuation covers a a lot of things, not not as in depth as this, but, um, yeah, this usually comes in, like, right, Pretty much when the deal is getting approved, anyway, so it's kind of a bit late in the piece.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
2: Yeah, the the valuations basically to protect the bank, so they're just looking at comparable sales and the risk rating for the actual commercial. So I've, I've actually got a value as part of my team. So the the value in my team actually does what the values of the bank is going to do, plus does the due diligence for here as well. So um, as you can see, quite a bit of work, ninety pages worth of stuff. And that's not even including, like, the Dropbox that you get. You have about a Dropbox with about 20 to 30 documents as well that you use to cross-check this information. Right, so that's, that's one it. of the standard kind of big deals. Um, this one's a bit – I chose this intentionally because it's a little bit more interesting because there's a few moving parts for Nick. So this is in Devonport in Tasmania. So regional. So the regional property. It's also retail, but there's three retails as part of it. So uh. let's see if I can get the summary for it um three thousand um decent leases but obviously the issues that's going to be for nick is it's regional um there's multiple tenancies as well so how the banks kind of look at that whether they combine them and things like that but this is just a you're mitigating the risk by getting the three tenants so the vacancy periods are probably longer here it's not like a warehouse where it might be one to three months these these retails sometimes one to three years vacancy so you need to really assess the area Look at foot traffic, look at road traffic, look at exposure. Try to find comparables. That's actually the hard thing because one, two blocks away is completely different foot traffic and a different vibe to the area. So a bit more of a thumb suck kind of analysis here for vacancy. Uh, but again, you try to do as much as you can. Um, so then, like I said, deal here, I think we got this for 950 Let me just double check that. Uh, duh, duh, duh. Yeah, 950 uh, I think it's about a 5.5%. Um. Yeah, we got nine fifty k. Uh, five point three. Yeah, it's about nine and a half. Uh, sorry, five and a half percent net yield. So obviously, a lease stock is probably not applicable. Um, but I'll get I'll get Nick's thoughts on how he treats multi tenancy for one, and then secondly, regional properties if there's any differences there.
3: So multi tenancies is, is it's fine, no issue. Um. Uh, Whoever the agent, then uh, would pass on to the buyer's agent, and would look at the the way or the weighted average lease expiry period, um, and then they they the, the value would mention that in in, in the um, lease. So they will take that on 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 an average as the term um, for a lease doc, um, and for a full doc, some lenders need on a full doc um, like a 30 year term. Same type of thing. They they want to. Some of like I was saying before. They'll only do a three alignment to the um to the term as well, um, purely being on a, a full doc basis at that seventy percent LVR because it wouldn't service um, on a on a seventy percent LVR on a lease doc assessment. Um, and then, just to highlight that that bank I mentioned before that does a one million dollar loan, they actually allow at least one minimum. So. Um, if you're buying property and it's coming to the end of the lease, but there's significant upside of, uh, you know, increasing the rent or it's under-rented and you're going to get an increase, it's actually a good um, value add by using that product. It's a one-year lease, 30-year term loan. But yeah. if they'll do this, you have to workshop it. You'd speak to the bank and they, um, they'll, they'll let you know we don't have tools as brokers to do a postcode search for commercial like residential.
2: Yeah. So th- this is one point as well, Jeff, is even though like rates are going up in terms of interest rates, rents are dry- going up dramatically as well. So if you're on a, say you bought a longer lease a few years ago on an industrial property, even though you might have had fixed, say, 3% rental increases on that, now you're getting to the end of the lease term, you might actually be bumping up your rent 15 to 30%. So that can, can somewhat cancel out the higher interest rates as well. Not completely in all circumstances, but it'll definitely help, especially with some valuations as well.
0: And
3: that's what happened with that just my to, example um, of the property that I mentioned earlier. Like it's gone up nine k um, uh, in in two years. So,
2: yeah, yeah. So
3: that's
1: why. just one uh, one of the comments is saying is my is it my just my internet tonight or is the live interview pausing regularly for us? So I think it might be your your internet. Unfortunately, Nick. I think it, I, I don't. I think police is pretty pretty smooth and smooth and uh, silky. And mine, mine should be good, but um, yeah, that's okay. Look, this—it's it, the, the audio is still fantastic, anyway. If, well. if
2: anyone's got any questions, literally just reach out to me, Nick or Jeff, and ask. Like we're we're all active on social media, so just dis- probably Polizzi or Nick. Yeah, i get to you Ask the question in the in the OzPop forum, tag us in, and we'll answer it there, and that way everyone can see the answer as well.
1: Yeah, love it. But this this all is right. an interesting one, isn't it? So, what, what was the purchase? Oh, sorry, I sorry, missed the purchase
2: price 9, So it was 950. So the yield's not the best, but we're getting three medical tenants. So what well, by medical I mean it's like a, a physio, a massage, and a Pilates studio. So you're getting three in line. So we're slightly lower yield, which most retail typically is, but they're all good tenants on long leases. They've all got three-year-plus leases. We spoke with all the tenants, they're happy, business is going well, they want to be there long term. So you're mitigating any kind of vacancy risk by having the three tenants and for a good price as well. sub some million, three tenants, even if you lose a tenant for a year, you're still getting a big portion
1: of the rent come through. So, so Belize, so, yeah. are, you, are you saying that, we, that um, if somebody came to you and wanted a 7% net yield that you would sort of say that they're chasing the wrong thing? They're chasing cash flow for no. the wrong reason or what?
2: Yes and no. You can definitely buy 7% yielding properties. Most of the time they're regional industrial. So you go to like the Rockhamptons and the Townsvilles and things like that. It's just the vacancy period that you need to balance. So like typically there, for instance, Rockhampton, you're probably looking at one to three year vacancy for an industrial property. Whereas say Brisbane, it's one to three months. So I'd argue that buying a 6% yielding one is much better in Brisbane than a 7% yielding one in Rockhampton because you're going to get better rental increases because the property's in more demand, better capital growth, and lower periods of vacancy. So I'd argue your ROI is going to be much better long-term. And as, as most residential investors know, if you can get capital growth as well, that's where you really maximise your returns. So there's there's nothing wrong with that. Funnily enough, in retail though, Jeff, some some retail in regional areas is actually lower risk than capital cities, because if you buy on the main strip, There's no other main strips. That's where everyone walks down. The vacancies are stupidly tight. Like if you lose it, it might be vacant for six months, but then you get a tenant for the next 15 years. So you can get some really good, like, reliable tenants in main strips in regional towns. But again, it's part of the due diligence. It's sending someone on the ground to look at the foot traffic different times of days, how much roads cars are going through, what future developments are going on as well. So make sure they're not building a Westfields one street away or a couple of streets away that's going to destroy your foot traffic. So you've got to look at all that. Retail, it is a lot harder to get right. So don't just jump into it. If you're a first-time investor, I'd probably suggest kind of industrial just because you get a bit more like-for-like. Like you can look at square meter rates. You don't have to worry about foot traffic and business success and all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. And what's what's, what's been your, like you've done a lot of commercial deals, uh, commercial loans, Nick. What's sort of been your, the the better investors and better is a a relative subjective, super subjective term. What what are you sort of finding that the better investors are are focusing on when they're, with their commercial investing?
3: It really depends. Like retail, um, I've seen clients with $150 million, all they own is retail. Uh, I've seen a client like a family office. They've got a billion dollars under uh, under um, under management under in assets, pure retail. Um, but the, the re- like the standard, you know, normal, non uh, high okay. net worth like that. Um, I see a lot of um, a lot of industrial like like most deals I do are industrial. The banks love it.
2: Yeah, yeah, Jeff. A lot of a lot of my clients that own primarily retail. They got started because they owned a retail business initially. So they might have owned a cafe or got a client who owned a baker or a bakery. They've bought that and then they've obviously done really well in business said, oh, let's buy another retail property instead. And they kind of go in that hole. But again, that's because they generally understand it. So they're, they're, that's their niche. The same as there's people that do duplex developments, people that do boarding houses, people that do renos, people that just buy the stock standard kind of three, four bedroom houses. So find, find a bit of a niche as well and become a master at it at least at the start, and then you can diversify when you've got less risk.
1: Yeah. Before it's we get on to the... the... Oh, sorry. Yeah.
3: It's funny. A lot of like, you know, uh, the Greeks and the Italians, they, you know, they came to Australia in the 60s. They had a fruit shop or a deli or something. Um, I've seen families like that that are worth 150 mil purely by buying just retail and retail and retail for, for 50 years. Um, and, you know, it's just that that's compounding. It. Some of them... Probably don't even know what they're doing in terms of um, they just do property. It's going to go good up, good in time. Um, a lot of them, you know, I've seen the, the, the whales and, and the leases on it. Some of them are pretty average, but they've owned them for fifty years. So that's just the power of the compounding.
1: And and they just understand, I suppose, the business aspect of it. So they're they're running and focusing on running a a successful or managing the successful business rather than. Yes, it's it's sort of ticking over the investment in the background as well.
2: But as, as Nick said, Jeff, it's it's compounding. It's long time. If you bought anything twenty years ago, like we're arguing about difference between a five and a half and a seven percent net yield now, you bought something even say ten years ago, and you bought it at seven eight percent. That's now probably generating about fifteen to twenty percent return, and that's that's the main thing. And you get that compound growth you don't have to be buy the best buy every time. And I get a lot of people that try to scrimp them. We had this actual discussion this morning where like yeah, everyone worries about 10 grand here and there, but I would much rather buy a better quality asset and pay market price, knowing that I'm always going to have a tenant going to get capital growth. It's going to go perform really well as opposed to just chasing that below market value. And that's the only criteria.
1: Yeah. i tell my
3: clients right. I tell my clients right now that we're at a point in time, the interest, like they look at a deal and they go, oh, it's, you know, it's all right. And I said, well, we're at a point in time. Commercial, you know, your 3%, 4% increases every year. Um, you know, you might get a CPI increase like we have now. You might go up, you know, 7%. Um, you've got to look at it in 3, 5, 10 years. Um, and, you know, using a buyer's agent, you, you pay a fee for it. But you're paying for protection, the due diligence report, the, the, the sourcing and yeah just the peace of mind so you know, paying you know whatever it is for a buyer's agent fee um, you know residential you're paying a buyer's agent to get you an undermarket valued property and you know you, you might pull out equity in, in a year's time and go again for commercial you, you you're paying for um, the experience and like the, the experts who, who who do this daily because I've seen people buy themselves and I've seen um, Valuations coming back not too good, and and other things. Um, that, yeah.
2: And one one point to note as well is you don't have to trust your buyer's agent. Like I, especially with my clients, I give them all the information. Like you can cross-check this as much as you want, ask as many questions. If you're not happy, even if the buyer's agent's trying to push you into a deal, being like, "Buy it, it's a great deal." You can still say no. Like it's your money, it's your risk. They're going to give you the information. You need to feel comfortable. Obviously there's always going to be fear. Like I I still get scared every time I buy a property thinking, "Oh, have I cross-checked everything? Have I got everything right? Is this the right t- property at this right time?" Like that's a normal thing. That's what protects you. But you can cross-check all the information. You don't have to trust buyers agents.
1: Yeah, depending on who you speak to, some some people uh trust buyers agents le- le- more than less than others. Um but yeah, anyway. Let's uh this is an interesting one how do you do due diligence on a new talent tenant with a good work history starting your own business? Is that too much and wants to lease your property? Is that too much of a risk for or what, what do you, and even uh, we'll, like about, do.
2: We'll, we'll, go, we'll go through this one and then I'll come back and jump into the chat and we'll, we'll go through that. That way we're kind of okay. done. We can answer some for, questions. For, for
1: your questions in people, like make them hard because I, I want to see please. too, his hair's too neat. It needs to be. <laughs> yeah. It's just make him sweat. even, even and Nick give, give Nick some easy questions.
2: Yeah. All right, so I've cho- chosen this one. It's just a lock, little stock standard warehouse. So as opposed to the, the big bopper that we showed you before, this is just a little 490K. So sub sub half mil, just another little tick the box type warehouse, WA in Frostel. so southern parts of it. There it is there. It's just big roller door, fits the bill. Got Still got the office space and the mezzanine inside. Uh, I think we got about a 6% net yield. I can't remember from memory. Uh, yeah, about a 6% yield so twenty nine grand rent bought it for four ninety um, so what I want to show Nick for this and and put the view when people say commercials unaffordable, you can buy affordable commercials. you can buy these little kind of cheap ones that tick along. The negative with the smaller ones is don't expect to buy a half mill property with five by five year leases, like most of the time the tenant's going to be a slightly smaller one, probably more volatile as well, so what I mean by that is. Because most small businesses go one or two ways, they're either going to grow and outgrow the space or they're going to close up shops. So you you'd probably expect on something like this to get a new tenant every five, six years. But the vacancy rates in these regions are quite small. Like I said, one to three months, you're getting a new tenant. So every five to 10 years, you might get a new tenant, have a few months vacancy. It'll still tick along, still have the rental increases, um, basically hopefully get the capital growth as well. Not guaranteed, but hopefully get it. Um, but yeah, just, just a nice little set-and-forget warehouse. Good for like a little self-managed super fund because it's slightly new, got some good depreciation. Just box type one.
1: What do you th- what are your thoughts on, uh, while we're we talking we talk Perth, Lazy, what are your thoughts on commercial property over in Perth for that sort of sub a million where if, if the economy sort of, I won't say we'll take a nosedive over there, but what, what are you, have you sort of seen, because you've been buying commercial properties for what ten years now? What how have you been buying it for?
2: Yeah, oh, personally, yeah ten years. Professionally, seven years. Because um,
1: what what are you sort of were you buying these properties over in Perth back in sort of what 2015, 2016? And what are you? Yeah, what, the, the,
2: the the, the we have probably been heavily investing there like Brisbane, uh, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra for quite some time because the yields have always been kind of poorer in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, however, when I say poorer, like Five years ago, you could get a really good commercial property in Sydney for five, five and a half percent, but we were buying at seven, seven and a half percent in those areas. So it made more sense financially there. That'll that'll slowly shift. What will happen is the prices will keep growing till the yields kind of not as attractive anymore. And then the rents will keep growing in Sydney and Melbourne, and those yields will come back from three to four percent up to the kind of five, five and a half, and then it'll go again. Same thing as residential. We see the cycles, we go from there. I still think there's some room to grow in those markets because we are seeing rental increases quite dramatically. Ideal situation for me, we see 20, 30% rental increases over the next few years because of the demand. Vacancy rates all-time low, still dropping. Again, this is this is ideal situation. I'll give you the, the devil's advocate answer in a sec. Interest rates over the next few years stabilize or come down. And then that's where you'll get a high yielding asset because you will buy something at, say, 6, 6.5% now in Perth the rent will go up 20 30%. The interest rates will come down and that'll end up being a 7 8% net yielding kind of asset. So that's, that's the, the crystal ball, sugar-coated answer. What you've got to be mindful of is if we do see a recession, rents stop or come down or small businesses start to struggle a little bit and you're not getting the same tenancy period, which means vacancy rates creep back up and interest rates keep going up. So all of a sudden you're buying this asset where you're not getting the rental increases, rents might drop interest repayments become more, you've got to stress test your portfolio to handle that situation as well.
1: Yeah, interesting. I don't uh, think maybe, um, that'll do. Nah, so I, I, I think it sort of did, I, I suppose. It, it, uh, it, I'm just thinking because there's, there's that perception about Perth being, I suppose, a bit a bit more cyclical um, based, based on the, the resources sort of sector. And uh, yeah, interesting part of part it, of It is, well.
2: but long, long term, most capital cities perform pretty much the same. They all get between kind of, and we can argue that we can cross the T's and dot the I's and split hairs, but like most of the yeah. time you'll get between five and a half and 7% capital growth year on year on year. The art of investing is trying to obviously pick the market as best you can over the kind of short and medium term because that lets you accumulate more properties now rather than later. But if you'd bought anything in Perth that was kind of blue chip 30 years ago, you've still done really well now.
1: Yeah, this is um. Let's uh. will throw this question out before I go back to Brian's question. This is Dermot. He said, "What if what if you get it wrong? How how do you get out or bounce back after spending a lifetime savings?" I mean, I'll I'll throw in a, a thought or two before because just because this is an really interesting one. If you when when you say spending a lifetime savings, I mean, if if you're spending everything you have, I mean, maybe that's I've taken this question a bit a bit too literally or a bit too liberally, but I think if you're putting that much money into a deal, I, th- I think you maybe need to take a step back and, and question if that's a deal that should be being done.
2: I think the point of the question, Jeff, is how do they make sure that I make a mistake on number one? Because as I sort okay. of mentioned as well, property number two, number three, number four, pivot off that. There's no okay. right answer. You, you've got to try to get it as right as best you can. I always tell people don't try to get rich on the first property. Like just buy the most boring property you can that ticks every single one of the OzProp fundamentals and then get that as the base because at least you know over the next 10 years you perform well. It's all the people that try to get rich quick. They try to do something fancy or a big development project and don't have the experience. Commercial comes with it more risk. Like you saw the due diligence reports. They're 90 pages long. Like there's a lot more things to get caught up on there. A lot more reward if you get it right. But there is, and that's why most people start off with residential because at least if you buy buying a kind of a blue chip area, that's, that's where you'll kind of protect yourself.
1: What, what are your thoughts on that, Nick, as well? Because I, I imagine you see people who they, they want to, you mentioned it before, they want to keep moving forward, but they just, for whatever reason, they can't get the finance out. But That's probably not the, the worst case scenario. But what do you see investors who they've just made a bit of a mistake in it with an investment? Like, what, what happens if they get it wrong? They get stuck, I suppose.
3: I to be I haven't seen too many. Like, a, a lot of, the, I don't get a lot of clients. You know, mum and dad own their home, go just buy a commercial property themselves. It's quite rare. Um, most of the stuff I do is is either the, the clients have come to me from a buyer's agent, um, they've approached, they've come, and the clients come to me or um, a self-employed client. Self-employed client. Um, they're buying their business premises, or they're, they're they're buying a commercial property for some reason. A lot of like the people in business, uh, you know, they're more exposed to that. They're already negotiating leases for where they they they've been, um, or I don't know uh, that they seem more popular buying commercial properties as well. But have I seen it wrong?
2: I'll, I'll kind of rephrase mean, the question a little bit, Nick. Have you seen any kind of horror stories with the rising interest rates where people have gone back to refinance, don't have the servicing anymore, and then kind of become stuck that way?
3: I can tell you a horror story. A, a horror story I recently had. I'll be open. I went to the bank's name. So, Lee Stock. Okay. So, before Lee Stock became really big, I said to um, the, the lenders, what will happen? If the client doesn't meet the annual review, if interest rates rise, nothing, we'll just keep rolling it. we'll keep rolling it. Um, and okay, I deal with a particular bank, uh, annual review came, a banker in Sydney goes, yep, no worries, all good, uh, move it along. Queensland Banker sent me an email because um, the bankers deal with that particular bank with where the property is located or the client's located. And I got an email to say, um, the client needs to reduce the, the debt by, it's a large loan, a um, few million dollars. The client needs to reduce his debt by $300,000. Um, doesn't meet his, uh, his his yearly um, review. And I'm like, well, one person from one bank said something and, uh, and the other person for the exact same scenario and push back and it's fine. It's just the particular banker, I don't know, why or how is this and so if i i was up front with my clients my clients draw drops it's like well where, where am i going to get the money from um but it, it didn't actually it didn't happen so um that was a good thing
1: wow imagine getting imagine getting that call like that would i just feel like what are we, what are we what are we doing here because what if, if you if you don't reduce that then they i suppose they can put you into default is that what they, yeah. they would do or they would sort of documents proceedings or something
3: uh, we're in unknown territory and that's what i've always identified with the banks what we do in the in these events before putting a client into mm-hmm. lane they all say no we we'll just move it along we'll move along and they did and at the end of it they did but i don't know this email like i was like wow
1: but it's fine. It's no issue. You probably but, spit, um, spit your coffee out. You get that email. You're like, oh, geez, okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. Just uh, go back to bed on that day. A, and that lender's money. not in
3: the market. That lender's not in the market anymore in lease stock. They went too hard,
1: um, and then they're just yeah. they're not lending too much at the moment. So yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. I don't need them. Um, so don't worry, any listeners who want to do lease stock, they're 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 not in the cards at the moment.
2: It, um, it is. It is it is one of the risks, though, with going off the plan, say, commercials and even residentials for that instance. If you get something that's going to settle in 18 months time and you put your small deposit down and it rolls around 18 months time and interest rates are higher or the valuation comes in short as well, you, you can become really unstuck there because you're going to have to make up a big portion of the difference. And like Nick or said, not, not, yeah, or forfeit the property. And then even then being negative equity position. Actually, do
3: you want me to tell you a horror story? Um, it could have worked bad. It was actually my wife's property. You oh, know, you to... No. Yeah. Tell you the like, Preston the... one? Or the... Yeah. So bought it 2014, 4, 420. Um, a sale and lease back. The guy was going, he was going bust. Um, I think he was, you know, doing not criminal things, but, you know, he was. He was... It
1: just wasn't going too well. Let's he wasn't to going that. too
3: well. His business wasn't going too well. Him personally, um, my father-in-law knew him. Um, he was a nice guy, um, and so what happened? Uh, we heard. I think they like, they were like the door was like kicked in, and like there was like were, like what the hell happened? And I think police had to like storm the place one day because he was doing I don't know something in there, um, but they wouldn't tell us. So got the got the least twenty six k a year gross return as well. So like. M- Gross. That particular lease was gross, not, not net, is how they bought it. Um So council rates, water rates and stuff. So it was only like 22 a year, 20 a year after all expenses. Um, the loan was done through a particular bank. Um, I didn't do the loan. It was done through my father-in-law. He had business banking contact. They did a an 80% loan, but that lender doesn't do an 80% loan. So what they do, they thought outside the box and they did an 80% loan, but they they amortized, they did principal and interest payments from the 10, like 80 to 70.
1: To reduce like, the LVR. Wow.
3: So the payments were like four grand a month um, and the three and a half to four grand a month as interest rates moved at the time. Um, so interest rates were great. Were cra- uh, the, the repayments were crazy. My wife was you know, quite uh, young at the time. So, and then, the tenant, you know, the lease was twenty six k a year. So what's that call it? Just under two k a month. So there's a there's a fair um, fair bit of um, difference,
1: difference between the interest.
3: Tenants stop paying. Tenants stop paying. Tenants stopped paying. Then you pay a large like lump sum. So having the the, the you know two k a month cash flow are negative, plus um, the tenant um, didn't pay. Three-year lease went at the end of it. I think she lost twenty grand, um, out, out, like out of pocketing rent. We actually had to get the sheriff to go in. Um, the sheriff, they don't care. We, we we went and changed the locks. We called the police and go, this guy's you know he's not leaving. And there's a metal fabricator. So how are you going to get all of his crap out? It's, it's, it's machinery and all metal scraps. We went in. Um, Buster locksmith broke in, changed the lock. He was actually living in there at the time as well. We thought we were, you know, yeah, we've done it. Um, and it's like he broke back into metal fabricating. knows how to bloody play this metal and open it. Um, we finally got him out. He owed us 20K and put it on the market. Blessing. We From 26K, we got 48K straight away. The market moved. Like it moved really well. That was 2017, 2018. So we held it for four years. That property now is worth $1.3, $1.4 million, I reckon, getting 52K gross. So take out expenses. So a bad experience um, turned into a really good property. But, you know, if you didn't have the cash to, to hold over that period of time, mm. it stuck. Um, and we did lose other opportunities. Like with the, the negative cash flow, we didn't actually buy many properties for, for, for a couple. We didn't do anything for a couple of years. Um, just because of that fact, but it turned around. Not every property that could be like that forever. So,
1: yeah. Well, and the okay. payments,
3: so the repayments went from 4K a month to like 1500 bucks a month. So the rental just skyrocketed and then the repayments dropped. So the positive cash was like too much cash. The tax position was actually um, was not good there.
2: <laughs> oh, you poor, your poor thing, Nick. <laughs>
1: not a not a bad problem to have i think um yes it's it's, it's it's interesting because there could even be people with the other with the other sort of at at the moment who've bought sort of 2020 when when rates were went went all the way down to what commercial rates were still sort of mid mid twos and and they bought sort of properties maybe they paid a little bit too much or whatever they went their cap rate was too low and and the next minute interest rates go up and and the business doesn't go so well or, or whatever, then the property's not worth as much. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting to sort of see. I mean, yeah, debunk if I've got that incorrect for easy, but uh, it's kind of just, yeah, could, can go the other way.
2: It's it's no different to residential. You just got to set your buffers. The, the buffer for commercial is obviously the no rent coming in, whereas residential, that can still happen, but most of the time you're going to have a tenant within a week or two, whereas residential probably more the maintenance and the mortgage that you need to worry about as a buffer. If the roof collapses and you're up for 15, 20 grand, you've got to fix that or if interest yeah. rates go up, so there is slightly different things you've got to kind of risk mitigate.
1: Yeah. I, I, I want have to
3: get give... a, a, a pretty messy story as well, but, um, okay. he, bought, a stories, a,
1: man. We go. he bought
3: a, so I didn't do the loan. Um, he came to me after this situation, but he bought a, a gym, let's call it in Queensland. Um, It was a couple of mil. Like it was pretty expensive. Um, 70% LVR. Uh, I think he thinks there may have been some funny business between the agent and the tenant may have uh, prepared for this. So settles, tenant leaves. It's a gym, um, fully like not purpose-built gym, but it's a gym. And it's a retail gym. It's not like an industrial gym. Um, The tenant, yeah, no tenant for, for six months. It's got a new tenant now um so had to put in, in said, like, interest rate started to skyrocket with no rent. Um, maybe it was 12 months with no tenant. And then he got a new tenant. Um, and the, the you've got to do incentive uh, period for this type of property. Um, so they have a rent-free incentives. And the client has a tenant, the new tenant, a, a new gym. And so he's taken a, a punt on the new gym. Um and I don't think they've even opened yet. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> that's uh, a yeah. Thing I'd, I...
1: I'd be, I'd be reluctant to. <laughs> I'm not saying gyms all the time are bad, but I just, I just think like you just see the amount of gyms that are coming out these days, like Anytime Fitness, the Plus Fitness, all these sort of, uh, even like yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. There's just a lot of different franchises coming out, and you just think, isn't there a bit of a saturation? Not, not all of them. it depends on the area. But yeah, what are your thoughts on gyms? Just quickly, please, we'll, we'll start to wrap it up, everyone.
2: Yeah, the, it, it just depends. It's case by case. They they are higher risk and they're more volatile businesses. Following on from Nick's, actually, we, we looked at one actually on the Sunshine Coast previously where they wouldn't sign the next lease, but they said they were going to sign the next lease. So even they wrote a letter of intent being like, we're going to sign it, please sign had all brand new equipment still in the boxes in the gym, being like, yeah, we're about to do a big renovation. We're going to get that sort of then sign a new lease. And something wasn't quite right. And then we saw like three months later, we didn't go ahead with the deal. They had they moved out. They were just basically trying to lie to us to, to get the best price. Like Nick said, they probably had an affiliation with the seller somehow and was just promising, saying, oh, yeah, we'll stay on. But there was no guarantees, no bonds. The lease wasn't there. But I could see you could come unstuck. Good thing is, in that area, filled in a few months. Sunshine Coast is a really hot spot for, for retail at the moment, retail industrial. So not, not the end of the world if you had bought that property. But that's also why I always focus on the low vacancy rate regions. Like the, the tighter the market, the, the less risk there is, even if the tenant's not great. So
1: This, this one from Michael Shah. He said, you'll uh, be chatting tomorrow night apparently. Um, so he said, any guidelines for negotiating rent-free period, fit-out, et cetera, guessing very different for retail versus industrial? Yeah, what are your thoughts on on that
2: yeah so best thing to do is never reduce rent always give a rent-free period if you can because obviously commercials get valued on the net yield and the cap rate of the area so you don't want to reduce it by 10 percent and have a low rent the, nick might be able to answer some ways that that might actually add benefits for if you can still get the loan over the line but always do the rent-free period it's it's a case by case like if you retail definitely it's you're going to give them a rent-free period if they're coming in doing a big expensive fit out, because the likelihood that new business have the cost to actually be able to do the fit out, plus pay the rent, plus start getting the clients in to make income is pretty slim. But the good thing is, if they're spending two hundred, three hundred grand fitting it out, they're not planning on leaving anytime soon. So the, the 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 premise of that property is the success of the business. So you'll normally, if you want a guideline, typically kind of three, four months rents a, a normal fair one for a retail. Industrial, pretty much never unless they're going to build you a mezzanine area or something like that because it's just some pallet racks. So they can come in and out within the day with some forklifts and dismantle that and come in. So there shouldn't be any real business interruption for them.
1: Yeah, there we go. Any any thoughts to add on, on that one?
3: Um, just with the lenders, some I've done a few lately with incentive period. So the valuation will stack up usually as, 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 as the, the – the, the annual rent, um, which is good, so you don't tank the valuation. But the um, the lender may they may do an assessment and only use uh, the net rent of that particular year f- for the assessment. But for example, if it's three months rent-free period, you start the application now. By the time you order the valuation, you, you sit around. You you actually then submit the application. If you just you just wait a little bit, and so as as the um, the rent, rent is over. that's more of a refinance or existing property. Um, yeah. But it just, it's case by case. Every lender you're dealing with commercial, you're dealing with a credit manager who has really got the right to, to, to do anything they want. Like they can bend the rules and make it better for us, or they could have their own personal opinion. Uh, and that's when we, 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 we,
1: I like we, to use the word discretion rather than um, break yeah. or bend the rules. Um, like, yeah, like-
2: um, like Nick said as well, it's normally for a refinance. There's not that many properties that come on the market where it's fresh lease, got to give incentive, and you buy it on that day. Like yeah. so, it, it's normally a refinance period.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, you, no. you just, you just, yeah, you just sit around for a bit. Your audit valuation takes a few weeks, and by the time it settles, it's probably at the the paying period, so it's it's fine.
1: Yeah. So th- I think we've spoken about this one in other So maybe we should just that. Um, Pilesi, what do you what do you think? How 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 long it's gonna take you to wrap up with the benefit Ooh, to investing okay. commercial? I'll,
2: I'll answer my question in regards to the actual property and cash flow. And then I want Nick to actually answer for what's the benefit of commercial lending over residential, because there's obviously some difference there. Um commercial is basically better serviceability from from our side, better cash flow, get the same capital growth. So you win on more factors. However, not sugarcoating, high risk, need to know what you're doing. And as we heard from some of Nick's horror stories, it can go wrong as
1: well. And, and also the probably the LVR as well, I suppose, is not uh, typically, not you're not going to get a 90% lend in. in
2: well, yeah. That, so when you're starting out, you've got more kind of borrowing capacity with residential, assuming you've got the serviceability, because I'd, I'd rather go by three 90% loans versus one seventy percent commercial. But again, it's it's case by case. It depends where you're at with your portfolio. But I'll I'll let Nick answer that part because that's probably going to be the, the advantages and disadvantages of commercial lending over Resi.
3: Um, well, in terms of just like benefits, what I see, it's not even lending related. It's true net rent. Like your 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 rent is your rent. Your tenant pays all the outgoings except for maybe the roller door and the aircon. Um, everything's paid for. Um and it compounds over time, you know, and quite a few residential properties and my in, inbox is going off always with, you know, this is broken, that's broken, you've got to fix this, you've got to do that. And then when I look at my rental statement at the end of every month, I'm like, I only got fifty bucks for this month. Like, what the hell? Like, so the the true net rent. Um, you look at you know, you look at a lot of the most successful people, like ultra rich people, like they're not getting rich on residential properties. that they own, you know, industrial sites or they own commercial. Um, so, you know, like Steve said, 90% loans to start out with when you've got less capital. But, you know, you read, for example, Steve McKnight's book, you, you buy residential, you sell down or get equity and you buy commercial. And in commercial, when you're retired, you can get commercial. As long as you've got deposits, you can actually commercial lending at any time. You can be 100 years old and go to a lease stock. There's there's, there's no issue. So, um the flexibility of commercial lending, if you're the right client, like if you've got 50k, it's, it's pretty difficult. But if you've sold your business, sold down some properties, and you want to just really oh, build a portfolio, you can if, definitely um, you can definitely um, yeah, keep
1: going. What's uh what's if if you're listening to the podcast, we've just had a we've had our first dog in the session. Like, <laughs> what's what, what is what is he what is he your she I think it's probably a she yeah. is
2: this is Panda. She's a she. She was actually found as a in a puppy as a puppy in a garbage bag in a bin in Greece. So she's a rescue. Oh, no. um, oh. I dog sit it on Wednesdays and Thursdays over here for some friends. Oh,
1: yeah, she oh. looks she looks very sweet, Panda. Look, look, <laughs> yeah, I okay. She's got a, she's got some wisdom on commercial property. Looks like
2: she's got. A- <laughs> she has heard so many conversations on commercial. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. There we go. We are live, people. Um, yeah, that's sorry to interrupt, but I just, I got a little distracted by the, by the dog <laughs> the, the fluffy object. Yeah. So this, this is an interesting one cause I'll, I'll, we might finish off on this. If somebody's got a really burning question, drop it in, but what, what sort of discount typically do you, I mean, it of course depends on the, the asset type pleasey. but let's just say stock standard warehouse, what's in, in a fairly standard area. What, what do you what would you discount would you typically
2: want I, I really like this question so if you go back to the start nick was actually saying in some areas the price is higher for a vacant property because a business yeah. wants to come They'll in occupy. and move into it but again yeah. it depends on what what area you're buying in whether it's investor focused or kind of own occupier the big thing to point out when you're buying a vacant property is you need a much much bigger kind of cash deposit because you've got the deposit I don't think you can get many 80% loans, can you, Nick? It's normally 70% as a minimum. Then so
3: you've can, got... You can get an 80% loan, but it's there's no... The, the One thing I've got to point out, vacant properties, no major bank will take any estimated rental or rental appraisal or a value as rental estimate. If there's no rental income, there's no rental income used for serviceability. Some of the second-tier lenders, when you get to your, 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 those lenders, you can, but you're paying 9%, you're
2: not paying 6 yeah, so, so with the question, like that's the first thing, is you need serviceability for it, for one. You're going to have GST on the purchase as well. So there's another 10% in addition to your deposit. So there's a lot no of cash to get back in your own. You can get the GST back though. So if it is an investor and and you want to put in a tenant in there, you'll get that back on your first BAS statement, et cetera. But there's a lot of cash to put in the game. Some areas, I'll agree, you can get a 5 maybe a 10% discount if you can but you're going to need a spare few hundred grand to kind of get into that deal anyway.
1: Yeah, because I suppose if, if, I'm the, if I'm the person owner of this commercial property, I'm like, well, yes, I might give you a bit of a discount, but if they don't need to sell, then I mean, I suppose the, not the ideal, but the, the easiest situation as a buyer is if, if there's a, a 50% or 60% LVR, like whereas if, if the owner of the property doesn't have any loan on it, then there's not really that much motivation for them to sell it. Even if it is vacant,
2: it's not so much the motivation of if they're selling; it's just what the market's dictating. They're they're going to get the price. I know people have got all these little sleazy tactics of "oh, I'm going to get off market this that." The market's the yeah. market. The sellers aren't idiots anymore. They're going to look at at least one or two comparisons, and you're going to pay dictating based on the market.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the beauty with I mean a lot of buyers don't just talk about sort of getting. Un, un, well, cheap off markets, but I think the beauty in in a really hot market with an off with an off market opportunity, it's more about if it goes to market, it will sell for a lot more than what um, what it what you can potentially pick it up for. So you're not if you pay a fair price for it, but compared to what it might go for on the open market, so you you, you still have to pay a good price for it, but it just means you're not paying twenty, thirty, fifty, hundred thousand, whatever it is above what what it would have sold for. What? Most
2: of the buyer's agents that are buying below market value, they're, they're buying in a softer market. That's why they're getting below market value. Good luck trying in a hot market to get below market value. You might think it's below market value, but unless you've got a dodgy relationship with the selling agent, why would they sell it to you below market value? There needs to be something wrong with the property or you just, the kind of, you just get it at a good time, good time of the year, good time in the market and just pick up a good price. A
3: yeah. lot of those, um, uh, like residential under market value properties with the like the you know like the online valuations the the avms or desktops it's a computer so it's if if you bought the property and three months later a physical person went into that property they'll probably value it for what you bought it for because you bought it for that price but the avms and the desktops i don't know sometimes the data could you can just wing and get a good vow. like it's um, you know, you could have the, the the more average property in the suburb, and then they look at the median, and the median's probably a little bit better than the the, the rust bucket that you bought. Um, so, you, you know, you adopt that higher higher rent. But I, I've done it before, um, yeah. and um, I'm sure that they were under market value, which they were. But like I've seen clients buy properties and the vows to come in, but it's all desktop. Uh, so,
1: and and with with we a desktop, from my understanding. Um is that if, if you're above 80%, typically the, the lender will, will want to send somebody out there anyway. Like to get one of those desktops, typically that needs to be at least below 80. And even then there's no guarantee that they won't send somebody out there? Or is that what's...
3: Uh, no, some lenders would do 90% loans with... Uh, well, majority AVN? of them. Yeah, yeah, AVM. Um, oh, yeah. like there you go. That, the way that AVMs work as well sometimes, it's a range. So if you bought a property for 420, um, three months later you said... Uh, four fifty. It would come back and say, "Customer's estimate accepted." You actually open the valuation. It will come back at four twenty because it's within a certain percent range. They just adopt what the customer's estimate was. So, yeah, yeah.
1: we shouldn't be talking about it because some banks might watch this and get on caught onto it. But I mean, I suppose <laughs> they know about it anyway.
3: But like, sure. you, if you put the custom, like you as a broker, you put the customer's estimate. In. If the customer says it's worth, you know that amount you, you, you put that amount in and yeah. um you know but if, if if an actual valuation when you open the report it comes in lower the back the back the banks that you they have it's their valuation they're the one that's accepting it so
1: yeah yeah okay well let's um let's go on over to it to me. this is from jeremy he said like i, I, lo- I love that jeremy like he's a, he's a big supporter of you Felizi, and just a big supporter of us so he's going to come on in the next month and we had the budget last night. I, I don't know what, what was. Was there anything exciting? I, I didn't really follow it to be honest. Maybe it was Monday night. I don't know. It's one of the nights. I look really uninformed. But um, police am I putting you on the spot by asking you what? It's, it didn't sound like there was. There was a little bit of affordable housing kind of uh, considerations for, which is good. But yeah, what, what was in it for property investors? Are they much? Or?
2: I did not watch it at all. I my mother's funeral, so definitely off the cards for me yesterday. There you go. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm I was almost going to reach out and just say, do you want to re- reschedule? Because I, yeah, but I know you got. Uh, a well. Jer-
2: Jeremy's yeah. actually where I get my information for that. He's a perfect source for summarising all that. I just follow him on socials.
1: Yeah, even even Michael Shah, It's Some big big uh, big plaudits coming in for for, um, for from from a really great broker as well. He's got a cracking resi mostly portfolio. Maybe some commercial from the sound of He's looking into, but yeah. Okay guys well
3: a few weeks ago actually um we had uh, an award tonight, and I sat next to him the whole night
1: Yeah, he's, he's uh like I, I really yeah I spoke to spoke to Mike anyway, we could go on for hours so before we uh, before we wrap it up, as Joe likes to do what's what's a sort of great way what's a good way for people to reach out to you, Nick and I'll ask you as well, please. people probably know, but Nick where's the best place for people to reach reach you uh
3: just uh Google my name and you'll probably find the website or, um, or so blueclanecapital.com and all my details are on there. Um, or if you're on LinkedIn, um, you can find my name, Nick Wilcox, or Nicholas Wilcox, all my details are there. Send me a message. I've got a like a, a broker Instagram page. If that's your platform, you can send me a message. there. You're on but, TikTok? Uh,
1: n- no, not on TikTok, no. Like, not one I of don't, those I don't who knows who's listening to it? Yeah, you know, we'll go down, we'll down that rabbit, rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I've, I've, le- I've learned heaps. And you know, just when I'm asking questions and kind of just like, I mean, no, Joe's not here. So I got the chance to ask the questions. So I really enjoy just learning a little bit about um, a lot about commercial and, and sort of then the deal's really fantastic. So, please, where can people reach out to you if they don't already know?
2: Carrier Pigeon, socials, just send me a message on any of them. Just type in Steve Polisi. I don't think there's too many of them. So, yeah, just type in my name somewhere.
1: Nobody's tried to impersonate yet or they can't grow the beard. I actually
2: had an Instagram fake account start up for Polisi Property the other week and sending, like, Bitcoin stuff. Weird thing is they had just as many followers as me. So, I'm just like, they're doing well.
3: That's when you know you made it when you've got a fake account.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I saw I saw saw a mate the other day and he was saying that he's getting, yeah, you know, Finish it off, but no, yeah, that's fair enough. So, police property, read, breach out to them, and apparently, you get a get a free book. You just got to pay shipping, shipping. I was gonna say, shippage, which is posting <laughs> and shipping, shipping combined. But no, it's been an awesome session, gents. Uh, thanks for jumping on, Nick. Um, at sort of last this minute, I sort of be fun to get you on. So, as uh, any last words of wisdom no, before we wrap it up, no, thanks for
3: having me. Okay, go, let's go. Let's,
1: go, let's go
2: there you go, yeah, go, Go talk to a commercial broker, not a Razzy
1: one. Let's go and buy commercial property if it fits your thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> up. You. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.